Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So I think the theme of this podcast, the, the secondary theme after why are we doing this, which is the main thing I think that runs under virtually every episode of this podcast is on the 2011 series or something like, yeah, this is a stupid idea, but we're really enjoying it. And ever since yeah, it's been like, we were passionate about what that. are we, we doing it for a long time? And it was like, oh, we're looking back on these games that we remember watching rather than like, yeah. oh yeah, we're watching a load of games for the first time where most of the players are people that you either haven't heard of or haven't mm. heard of when we started doing this exercise, such yeah. as today. And so much of it is kind of watching rugby that is of an objectively lower quality than we are used to. Yes. But I think one of the other themes of this podcast, right, is kind of linking bits of rugby history to modern rugby, to kind of the zeitgeist within rugby, within the kind of wider world as we are a bit. You know, like finding bits of rugby trivia from the past, linking them in, bringing them forward, kind of pulling things around, bringing things in a big circle, looking at them. Particularly this podcast, we've mostly focused on 2007. I want to take us back. <laughs> we've exclusively talked about 2007 mostly, in this era. Mostly, 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 mostly. I want to take us back slightly further Whoa. right now for the intro, if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The year 2000, okay. the distant future. Okay, yeah. Right. Let's all meet up in the year 2000. However, I also want to bring you to the present. Okay. You know, Wait, what? Um, picture the, the scene, present, right? the year 2000. Is that this year? Picture the scene, right? It's February. Okay. The first Saturday in February. You're telling me this year lies. or next year, sometime around now, you know. When you say this day. year or next year, do you mean 2023 or 2000? 2023, 2024, 2022, okay. you know, sometime around there. It's okay. the first beginning of February, right? Mm-hmm. It's about 1pm on a Saturday, the first yeah. Saturday in February. You know what time it is, don't you? Uh, 2pm. I just said it's about 1pm, but that's Oh, fine. shit. I was close. I was close. You know what time, you know what's happening now, don't you? First weekend of February, about 1pm. Is it the Six Nations? This is Nations? a rugby podcast. The Six Nations is beginning. That it's took me a long time last. to get. <laughs> this is a little bit too long. Yeah. A little bit too long. I am... Yes. I structure like I the whole questioning... first quarter of my year around that event. And yet. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I'll, I'll overlook that. <laughs> You've overlooked that tournament. So the Six Nations begins, right? Hmm. You put on BBC One, ready for the first game to start. And on comes a title sequence. Now, yes. This title sequence, right? They update the visuals every year. They update the clips that they have in there every year. I still always think of it as having Mirko Bergamasco in there, though. Scoring a try, which definitely didn't happen. Yeah, but that's why they played that footage for so long, because they didn't find a second example of it. Yeah. But you know the music they play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a banger, by the the, way. The music, the kind of humming, like... "Mm -hmm." Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know the one. Can you you do it? You can probably do it better than me. Da, da, da... Da, da. It's not, it's not so, no, it's hard to do, isn't it? It is. 
And when you did it, I was like, oh, what a fucking amateur. I could do that way better. <laughs> it's really hard to do. Yeah. So lately, over the last like week, I've started rewatching all the Mission Impossible movies, right? <laughs> Is it for a podcast? No. I mean, I should. I could do that. I could do a Mission Impossible podcast. With... I would question why I'm doing this much less. Fine. Um... We'll add it to the queue after <laughs> bloody Reese Witherspoon. So I've been watching all the reasons. All the Mission Impossible movies again. <laughs> all the she stars in all of them. Again. <laughs> she isn't in any of them, and that is an outrage, because there's a new one coming out and all of that. And here's the thing, right? Mission Impossible 1 is great. Mission Impossible 2 is a pile of shit. Like, it is terrible. Except there is a scene, like, over an hour in, right, where Tom Cruise is running around underground, then, like, Tandaway Newton is about to be, like, injected by some dangerous character I'm sorry, or whatever nothing else. you've said so far in this podcast is linked whatsoever. <laughs> You're just feeding to. me, me loads of completely irrelevant pieces of information. Right. So there's a scene where, like, Tom Cruise and there's, like, a dangerous gun full of, like, diseases you and whatever. You can't just do this and, and call it a podcast. He's can't about... just say loads of stuff. <laughs> so... Tandaway Newton's about to get injected with this, like, gun that's got, like, dangerous chemicals and that in it, right? And I'm sat there thinking, like, and there's this, this, like, very dramatic music playing in the background. And I was thinking, like, what is that? I definitely recognise that music when it clicked. It's the opening titles theme from the Six Nations. What? So I thought, clearly, this is, like, a piece of classical music that the BBC have just used or whatever. Yo. I looked it up, and in fact, no, the piece of music used in the Six Nations opening right, was written by Hans Zimmer for Mission Impossible 2, for the worst Mission Impossible film. The BBC licensed and have been using for like nine years now a piece of the soundtrack, a piece of the original score. I thought that was original the Mission Impossible for the music. Six Nations, no. so did just I. by some intern rather than Hans bloody Zimmer. So did I, yeah. No, Hans Zimmer wrote like a... Like a really dramatic piece of music for a terrible film, and was no, n- nobody hey, would ever notice when it was reused. Of, a couple of my mates went to see Hans Zimmer last week, and oh, well. what if what if we went along to that, and then he started playing the Six Nations theme tune, and that was how he found out. So apparently, as I understand it, Hans Zimmer proposed to his longtime partner at that very gig last week. Well, and if I were him, I'd propose the Six Nations theme. Yeah, or Mirko Bergamasco. Or Mirko Bergamasco. I'd want Mirko Bergamasco there. Yeah, like, I'd want him to celebrate as he did whenever Italy won all of those four times when he was playing. Yeah, yeah. I want him doing his like pumping the air when he kicks that penalty against France. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and not scoring tries as he famously yeah. does. In fairness, we don't know for certain that in that clip it's a try line that he's crossing. It could be the twenty-two yeah, meter line he's he diving. It could be over. really dramatically grounding it over the five meter line. Yeah, and it, I wouldn't put it past him because no. Bergamasco, interesting character. But yeah. Also, so you just clarified that you are not Hans Zimmer. You said if I mm. were him, which you are not. So you've ruled out somebody that you may or may not be, but you've ruled them out that you are not them. However, who are you? I'm Romeo Gonteniak. Who are you? What? You're Romeo Gonteniak? You're the Romeo Gonteniak? I might have lied just there. Well, um, I'm your opposite number, Federico Sousa. Excellent. Well, it's a delight to meet you, Federico, for the first time since 2007. Yes. Um, <laughs> hey, remember that time when we played against each other? Should we talk about that entire game? We should talk about that in great, great detail. But what we should do is we should talk about it as though we were observers who weren't really paying attention to rugby at this time, rather well, than seasoned internationals for our respective countries. Quite, quite. Luckily, I remember the whole thing as though I just watched it before we started happening to record this podcast. It's- 
funny you should say that because I did watch it just before we started recording this podcast. What? Should we pretend that we are two idiots who somehow people watch their YouTube videos? Yes, that's, that's a great idea. Brilliant. So welcome to um, Zoella. I couldn't think of another YouTuber and I panicked. <laughs> I was trying to think, what are those brothers? What are the brothers called? L- the Logan, Logan, they're Logan brothers, and Jake they? Paul. Logan and Jake Paul, thank you. I am so old, is the thing. I am really, really old, and I barely know what YouTube is. You're doing a great impression. uh, I've had this before where people have asked me, like, oh, who your favourite YouTubers, who's inspired you to whatever. It's like, I genuinely, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. There's not not an answer. There's no, like, I wasn't watching any YouTubers when I started doing Squid Rugby. And that is why I think it is as it is, because it's not... You know, but that's, like, you that's know, where you spin it out points. and you then say like, oh, I was inspired by the alternative rugby zeitgeist of exactly, Rick exactly. O'Shea and Chris Corcoran and... Who we had on this podcast. Jed Thien. And Rick O'Shea, like, who we almost had on this podcast. Yeah. Jed Thien, who we talked about having on this podcast and couldn't get in touch with at all. It's a wide range of... Yeah, Lee, Lee and Josh, indeed, of Blood and Mud. Lee and Josh, indeed. Um, as later references, kind of, when we yeah. weren't necessarily children, but... Yeah, very much plugged in. By the way, are the idiots we're impersonating Robbie and Willow and the Squid Rugby yes, YouTube channel. That's okay. Yes, that's okay. Yes, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll oh, be well. I'm an idiot. I'm Robbie. I'll, yes. I'll be Will. Yeah, and you can be whoever the other one is. Yeah. Uh, I don't really pay attention to that one. I'm far, far more interested in uh, the dumber one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the better looking one. The it's, no, you picked Robbie. <laughs> this is japes this is Bumps. this is this is what the logan brothers do yeah the logan brothers on their podcast we should rename the youtube channel the logo brothers logan brothers or the logo brothers <laughs> the Logan brothers. Uh, it's all about mother polar oh yeah we just get logan and polar on and it's his twin it's triplets you yeah know, he had triplets we get them on and they are the logo brothers what's one of your favorite logos Oh, I mean, so here's the thing, right? The Robbie World Cup logo of this era of 2007 was known officially as the filleted fish logo because it was like a rugby ball, but like split up a bit, really? right? It was known officially, the trademark registered it as the filleted fish logo. So if you look at any like official Rugby World Cup products from like 2003 through 1999, actually, I suppose, through to 2011, they all described the filleted fish logo for the Rugby World Cup at the bottom. Well, that's legitimately mental. How's yep, that there's... only just come up? I know. I I love that I was able to pull out of bloody nothing a piece of rugby trivia. I've done it bloody again. This is why I have my job. But that's the thing, though, because usually when one of us does that, the other one knows it. Yeah, exactly. And that is a real struggle in that we're doing the podcast with the only other person that knows the ins and outs of Bogdan <laughs> Suman's career. Correct, correct. Like, if we do this podcast with anyone else, like, someone stupider, then, and I mean, like, here's the thing, I will struggle to find someone stupider than myself. Yeah, um, well, But I did find company. it on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it would make it really difficult to do a lot of this content. You know what's um, really funny is that... Mm. I have currently open on my browser, as we do this podcast, I have three tabs open, right? One of them being the, and this is going to completely spoil something I might have gone into later on, but who cares? Sure. One of them being the, the tab on ESPN Scrum of this game. I always have that open for the game, just in case it has information on there that I may need, as the, the viewer will have figured out, right? 
The second tab that I have open is the ESPN scrum page of a different game between mm-hmm. Romania and Portugal, which happened in December of 2007. So after okay. this Rugby World Cup game, oh, wow. they played again in December and that game finished 23-8 to Romania. Wow. Um, so that was, you know, a significantly less close game and the teams are very significantly different. So I wouldn't say it had any massive bearing on kind of how these teams stack up against each other and that kind of thing. Nothing compared to the game we're about to talk about. However, the third tab that I have open on my browser mm-hmm. is Bogdan Suman's ESPN scrum page. Of course. Bogdan Suman, who didn't play in this game, no. but did play in the other game. So I just decided to have oh, his man. page open because I thought, well, he's Bogdan Suman. And Suman's. so, obviously, when I go to name a random rugby player, I land on Bogdan Suman. The one who the is... The one player I, you happen to have open. I happen to have we his page open. We spend too much time together. <laughs> we do. We've like, known this we for a long time. We grew up together, right? We've been doing this for a long time. We are yeah. each other's primary person that we've always talked about rugby, to rugby about. We're like, I think it's fair to say, like the one person each other always known, yes, who, yes, who's like has a consistent interest in rugby, and like, yeah, I know other people who are, have a passing interest in rugby, and you could get away with it with, but you don't want to kind of bore them with details. Yeah, and but they're idiots. People through doing this that are like, you know, like I know Sam Lana now, right? But like, yeah. that's a, it's a different <laughs> thing to knowing like you who I knew before I was doing bloody rugby yeah. stuff all the and time. And also, like Sam Lana knows what he's on about. Exactly. We don't. <laughs> exactly. Like, I went to the cricket with Rhiannon Garth-Jones at the weekend, right? She knows so much more about every sport than me, including rugby. Yeah. But I can tell you that, that game that isn't this one... Oh, sorry, I just said Frog Down Human's 14th Rhiannon. cap. Yes. Wow, okay. Yes. Sorry, I forgot to address her by the proper name. Okay. She's called by a, f- a full name, and it sounded weirdly formal. <laughs> you were telling me you had Bog Down Human's 13th cap, and you, 14th, said I, you said I spent too much time saying nonsense at the start of this podcast. <laughs> Look, I just saw Bogdan Suman's name and had to click on it. His full name is Bogdan Zabega Suman. Zabega Suman. Yes. I don't know if that's his middle name or it's a double barrel thing, but... Well, we'll never find out. Yes. So, the game today is Romania 14, Portugal 10. We talked about last week's game, Canada versus Japan, being a kind of unofficial quarterfinal, an additional mm. to the knockout game, because it was absolutely must-win for two teams who knew their whole World Cup depended on this. This would be the thing that people would look back on decades to come, including right now, and go, right, well, this team had a successful or a particularly disappointing World Cup based on how that result went. Yes. This is exactly the same. The yeah. commentator says the same thing. This is the World Cup final for these teams. They make a bit of a joke out of it in the way they previous teams were like, no, this is a deadly serious encounter that we need to take seriously. He's like, well, this might as well be the World Cup final for these two teams. <laughs> but still, I think he treats the game with the seriousness that he does. they have um, there. I'm a fan of like, how out. John Taylor approaches this game, in mm. fairness. On one hand, he doesn't learn the teams. Like he's Every single time sure. someone has the ball, he's looking at his team sheet. But you know what? He does genuinely have respect and passion for the teams that are playing. Yeah. And I like that that he understands the magnitude of the occasion because I kind of didn't think about it until the game had actually started, like quite how big an event this is. Mm. I kind of, because of a video we're working on, recently had spoiled what happens in this game, which I didn't previously know, but I didn't necessarily enjoy the game unless for knowing it. The game, it's such a huge occasion for both sides because it's one of those rare occasions where a team like Romania... Mm. who spend their whole World Cup getting trounced by Scotland and Italy and whoever else, right? 
then have the pressure absolutely heaped on them mm. because they absolutely this is a must win now and if they lose this it's a massive upset all of a sudden yeah. and i live for those occasions so romania had won 11 of the last 12 games against portugal the one loss being by one point in lisbon in 2003 but yes it's also interesting i think like personally for the two of us romania versus portugal kind of bookmarking the end of a you know kind of watershed end of the last few weeks we've had where we've very much been working on Romania and Portugal, two videos, and they've been big focuses alongside the Springboks, but the Springboks have been kind of easier to do because we know them inside out, whereas there's been a lot yeah. of like learning and studying and... And celebrating. You know, yeah, these, exactly. These Rightly guys. so. The, like, like, I think we've learned a lot, probably both of us, about how yeah. these, these teams play nowadays. And thanks to yourself, a lot more about the history mm. of these teams. So that's great. Lots about like the history of... Romanian rugby, like I managed to get a lot of it, cram it into the video. There's a lot in there, but I think it's quite a dense video, like in terms of the amount of covers about the last few years for them, but mm. also the history. That one's up there now as the Portugal one is pretty much finished, but it will be out soon. It's, you know, it's how it is. But yes, so Romania, fascinating history. You know, we talked about a lot of it on the 80 series and there's a lot of it in that video. And then this lead in was kind of a weird period of them starting to have the signs of a rebuild. Like they looked like they were kind of headed downwards after 2003. And then they have that golden generation coming along in 2005. And they have the start of that flooding into this team. So like Florian Blake, who doesn't go off the bench here, but Catman Furku is starting. You've got Christian Petra starting, who I think is slightly before that generation, but kind of yeah. not a million miles off. You've got a few. I think the, the point you're making is you've got a lot of players that brought that generation through in yeah. this team the likes yes. of Petra the likes of Tonyita the likes of Dumitrash and Dumbrava like these guys are so crucial to the fact that Florian Vlaiku developed in the first place and you know Mihai Makovai Catalan Ferku all those guys yeah yeah I, you know as well as the kind of older heads in Gonteniak and yeah. there's a few of them you know throughout the team Holy Corral on the bench as well you know kind of fits into yes. that mold whereas Portugal is and I mean like look I talked a lot about the kind of qualification for 2007 and everything, and a lot of it in the video, a lot of it I had to cut on stuff, some stuff I read up on and research and so on in the lead up to that qualification. However, we will get onto that shortly and we will kind of talk about that a bit more. But like, I think this has been an interesting way of like almost bringing down the curtain personally on two weeks of really diving in deep because like I've come to really love both these rugby nations. Yeah, me in too. In a way, I always quite liked Romania, but it was I've always taken them for granted really deep on them. I yeah, think, a little bit. And you kind of felt sad for them when they missed out in 2019. You got to see the massive dip and fall off they had. And I always felt a kind of real crying shame for them and pity for them almost. Yeah. But it wasn't Seeing until them... reading up more and more that I kind of, they became more and more important to me, I think, as a yes. rugby fan. I think seeing them back on an upward trajectory, it's made me realise like how much I did take them for granted at the time, yeah. you know. And like, for example, there's, he has quite a quiet game here, but there's a point really early on where Catalan Ferku makes a break on the outside mm. where he, he skins somebody after having made a half break, fallen over, lost the ball, gotten up, regathered it, then made the break and then fallen over again. But mm. he makes a really nice break and it makes me realise, like, God, Catalan Verka was incredible. Like, mm. he was such a good player and I really miss him. And there's a lot of Romanian players from that era that I do think that of. Yeah. And if we were doing this as our job when this, like, in this era, the amount we would be hyping up Catalan Verka and just yes, wanking over him every young, single game. Winger. 
Like, even when he was established and who was Romania's top try scorer, we would have been spending so much time talking about him yeah. and how shit hot he is. And I think he is really emblematic of Romanian rugby in this particular era of it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But then the other thing is, right, and like, there's something tragic about when teams like Romania, like Luklo, where start to fall away, right? The, like, we talked in the 87 series about Zimbabwe, mm. who obviously qualified for that World Cup and then kind of fell off the face of the earth. Like, here's the thing, right? Richard Zumba, who we talked about on that series, is an all-time great within the path of Zimbabwean rugby. Yeah. He is, like, rightly celebrated as such as one of the best ever players. He was one of the best players in the 87 World Cup, I think, like, yeah. in terms of sheer talent and ability. For sure. He is not talked about because his nation kind of fell away in rugby terms. Yeah. Right? And so he's kind of forgotten to the ages because it's that kind of classic history is written by the victors and all that. But also because rugby union in particular is so built around the kind of the big teams and a lot of it around the big teams surviving, but like the bigger tier two nations, the only ones we talk about. It's like if Georgia fell away, will people in 20 years time talk about Muku God, God's Yeah. Right. World rugby, you know, we talked about this last week's podcast, but like they're currently putting everything in place for Georgia to fall away. But yeah. I was going to say, you know, when, you do that exercise where you talk about like, oh, what are World 15s or what's who's like, who are like the top five in X position in the world, mm. right? And then you go through honourable mentions where you're like, you throw in a couple of sneaky like tier two players. Yeah, right? yeah. When was the last time you heard a conversation like that and somebody mentioned Tyler Ardron's name? Yeah. It will have been a long time ago yeah. because Canada have gone to shit now, you know? Yeah. I think that's kind of the modern day example of what you're describing. That's a really good example. But the thing is, right? Romeo Gontaniak is an all-time great. He was mm. the player that that was brought out last time Romania in the World Cup during the opening ceremony as their like legend player, alongside the likes of Shane Williams for Wales, Jonah Lomu for New Zealand, Brian Habana for the Springboks, even though he's playing in that tournament. Yes, um, and Chuck Berger no, years, for wasn't as well. It? As well, yeah. Sorry, that was it. That was it. Yeah, that was the yeah. one where they bring out you know the all-time great and. Diego Machado was one of the coaches for Uruguay and yet they brought him out. <laughs> but like Romeo Gontaniak is an all-time great at Romanian rugby, right? Yeah. If Romania continued to fall away, he would stop being talked about because they stopped coming up in World Cups and stopped coming down the line. And like, it's really important that we kind of celebrate these guys and we have kind of historical record people talk about them. People remember the Gontanieks, the Vlekus, the Furkus, the mm. Tinkus, the all the oos, something kind of <laughs> oo jumping on my Romanian. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's a nice like segue onto the Romanian team. Yes. Because similar to what I said last week, these are the best 15 rugby players in Romania versus the best 15, well, no, the best four, 14 of the best 15 rugby players in Romania. One of them is on the bench. Um, I would say two of them are the best on the 15 bench. rugby players in Portugal. Well, okay. So Marius Tinku is benched after all his concussion issues. It's quite crucial. The two best players that Romania have available to them are on the bench. One mm. of them is Marius Tinku and the other one is their skipper, Sorin Sokol, yes. uh, is also put on the bench. And it's very telling that there's a bit of a leadership issue without those two guys in particular. But otherwise, they have filled their strongest team. There is actually a little bit of merit to the fact he puts those two on the bench. But yeah, it is more or less Romania's strongest team for sure. You've got Dan Dumbrava coming in at 10 after they've kind of messed about the 10 position a little bit throughout this tournament. But you've got Dimofte playing in the centres with Gunteniak this time. Mm. And it's a pretty solid back line when I think they've learned across this World Cup that going hands down the line and doing flashy moves is not their thing. 
Like they no. can't do it. So they've just picked a solid team who can defend, who can run hard lines. And I kind of respect with that. Yeah, with Furku as they kind of one little bit of stardust. Yes, exactly. Like the backup plan. Yeah. So, I mean, it's Duma Trash, who is a phenomenal boot on him. And it's a sort of player that is always going to come in handy in a game like this, yeah. where you know Port, you're going to be massively fired up. Yeah. Dumbrava keeps the place at 10, who, solid player, like really solid fly half Dumbrava, like a classic tier two fly half, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think he's quite early in his career at this stage, isn't he? But mm. has a really long and solid career for Romania, like really, really good 10. Dumitrash, as you say, is one he's... of only one, two or three players I've ever in my life seen kick a 22 22. So Dumbrava had gone to the 2003 World Cup as a youngster. I see. Um, he kind of snuck in as a 21 year old. And then this is really kind of like great ten, prime as a first choice. Yeah. yeah. Has now 2011 got his coaching, was first choice. He's now head coach. Is he? uh, yeah, one of the Bucharest teams in Liga Nationale de Rugby. Oh, good for um, him. In, yes, Southwest SEA, Secuta Bucharesti in Southwest Bucharest. Oh, that's great to hear that he's still involved because, yeah, he was a really, really good player in his time. Also, yeah. at nine... Pinky Valvassa amongst the players. Okay, yeah, yeah, good. good. Florence Surajou, who's still going. No way. That's Still that's playing for them, who obviously plays a halfback well, pair with his head coach now. <laughs> I was going to say that at Scrum Off, they pick Valentin Calafatianu, who yes. they've changed their Scrum Off like, all the time in this World Cup. Constantly, constantly. Uh, Calafatianu, again, is a player who played, I think he's only just retired recently, hasn't he? This is the, yeah, the, where he retired 2020. Okay, yeah. He retired yeah, so around the pandemic. Very recent retirement. One you of always... those players that Andy Robinson dropped out of nowhere, okay, and he yeah. was like, well, you know, called, called it a day. Old. You always had this thing with Valentin Calafatianu, where you always, you've always said that he just looks like a rugby lad. And he does. Like, he is just the, the, the image of just your typical rugby lad, and I can't unsee it. He looks like he's definitely carried a bag of sick around tied to his waist. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I hate that that's what <laughs> yeah. rugby is. So yeah, goes on to have a really good career, plays in three World Cups, would have been four, played in the qualifying campaign for 2019 and obviously gets qualified. And yes, this was the first of his World Cups and his first start. Mm, yes, of course. 100 but, caps, uh, when exactly 100 caps. Did he? That's satisfying. Yeah. That's satisfying. One drop goal on his aggregate as well, which I love. 11 tries, 32 conversions, 37 penalties and one drop goal from scrum Had to tick the box. To be yeah. fair, he could play 10 as well. So I'm okay. presuming that's where he did that. But yeah, so looking at the pack as well, they've got a handful of experienced names in there, but not... Yeah. Yeah, th- that's where they rotate things out, I think, safe to say. So they've got Bogdan Balan, the absolute unit at tight head. They've yes. got Christian Petra in the second row, who was really, really solid. Taking the captaincy at eight is David Dutonita. Uh, who is great player. S- such a great player. One of their greats, I would say, could play anywhere from four through eight did the classic thing of being like a quick carrying eight at the start of his career and then a slow clearing out second row by the end who would occasionally jump for line outs. And I was so here for it. I think he scored on his last ever touch of international rugby against Ireland mm. in 2015. I feel like that was where he retired. Oh, he is. He played in the following Rugby Up Championship in 2016. Oh, then, so boring. Yeah. Last but Rugby like, World Cup passage of play he played in his score, I think. Tonita, right? And we might as well get onto this now. During the Scotsman's wrap-up on the World Cup, they went through and pulled different things. Yeah, the Scotsman described him as Romania's one world-class player. And the Western Australian described him as a class act in the scrum. I said the sad thing for him is he's playing with the wrong generation of players. 
Right. And if he'd been dropped into one of those teams in the 80s or 90s that were class Romanian teams, or even the 70s, then he would have been like a real Oh, he would have fit legends. right in, wouldn't he? Yeah. And he was kind of just dropped into this era when it was very different. The other remarkable thing I came across here, right? He was described in a preview for this tournament, right? As Romania's John Eels. I don't see it. I can't lie. No. I don't see either. it. Maybe we need to learn more about John Eels. Maybe we'll watch him back in like 91. <laughs> like, and go, you know, he he's truly the Australian. I'll <laughs> Planet Rugby's preview of Romania before this tournament referred to him as saying he is, he's been known to be compared to John Eels, which I don't see at all. He's a completely different player who plays completely different. The only comparison is that they're both good. And they play in yellow. Yeah. Well, so, like, Tavita was a flanker, like, really good flanker who could play eight. Like, menace over the ball, worked incredibly hard. Like, one of the, like, early core of like Macora likes mm. who were kind of like very physical sevens um, I would say I'd, it's a really this is kind of a bit of a stretch for comparison but I feel like flankers like him are why you now have sevens like Alex Callender who will just <laughs> like take the carry that no one else wants you know yeah. and make yeah, the drop yeah, tackle yeah. on the biggest player straight away and like obviously I've pluck that example because that's like a personal bias thing sure. but you know like there there are so many flankers like that nowadays that Fraser McWright as a exactly. comparison nowadays yeah. exactly yeah there's, Jamie Ritchie there's... even yeah sure 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 he's slightly more like bulky than Jamie Ritchie yeah Fraser McWright is a great shout yeah but yeah no very much very much Romania's John Eels yeah yeah so he he apparently had played lock early in his career when his first couple of caps at lock okay and then moved, then moved back the there which I guess is why he was Romania's John Eels. Yeah, uh, sure. Never kicked a goal, as far as I can tell, though. <laughs> yeah. Should, should we have a look at Portugal, then? Let's have a look at Portugal. Let's look at Portugal. Because I've, again, realised, and it's a thing that often happens when I look at a team for the last time before they bow out of mm. the World Cup. I love this Portuguese lineup. There's so many players that I've grown so, so much affection for. The big headline of this is Vasco Uva is out. He's injured. Yes. Probably Portugal's best player, I would say, at this point. They're, He's their skipper. He's their talisman, to use a cliche. only two Uvers, yeah, which is devastating. Right? Yeah, but genuinely, like that's such a huge loss for them because he's the most experienced player mm. and leader that they have in their squad, and he's out of this game, their biggest game of the tournament. And my heart breaks for him about that. Yeah. Well, so there's a moment on commentary where John Taylor, the commentator. John Taylor, yeah. Yeah. Who says it's Pinto to the other Pinto, to Uva, to his cousin, Uva. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a very small player pool here and an even smaller pool of surnames. It's like watching Wales. Yes, yes. But yeah, so there's the two Uvas in the there. Two, yeah, the two Uvas. So you have Gonzalo in the second row and Yao Uva at seven. You have then the two Pintos carry on at halfback, Duarte and Jose. And you've also got, right, the back three players who we haven't really talked about that much because they've not had much opportunity, but they're a lot of fun when you get this combo together. The dual Pedros and Antonio, the little mate. Who's yes. Big. Yes. Pedro Carvalho, Pedro Leal and Antonio Aguiar. They've all been really good in this World Cup, actually, when they've got opportunities. Aguiar is a player who's not had much space, but like is devastating. Yeah. He's sort of like... I guess like Shane Horgany 
in that he's just got mm. really long strides as a winger. Yeah. And sometimes he just eats up a lot of ground just through like one or two little runs where like people Doesn't aren't getting... sidestep, only swerves. No. Yeah. Really, really hard to tackle him because like you want to go for both his legs and they're so far apart because he kind of <laughs> runs a bit like a horse, like a yeah. two-legged horse. I really like that break that he makes really early on, by the way, yeah. where... In his own 22. 22, they get that turnover and he goes a good like 30 to 40 metres downfield. And you think he's going to go the whole way because he's not running that fast, but he's running so long. <laughs> yes. Then you have Miguel Portea in at 13 as well, who like a solid servant, like he's 11 years into his test career at this point, right? That's crazy. And you kind of feel like having balanced it with being a lawyer and also with having had four children, like, what a busy life he's got, getting up in the Him morning. Him and Gonteniak have a gentleman's agreement not to run down each other's channels, or not to run on the outside of each other's channels. <laughs> yes. So long into their international careers. I think, though, we can't talk about Portugal without touching on the front row, because that's absolutely the highlight for me. Even though there's a handful of occasions where they get absolutely battered. And then, the thing is, every, handful of occasions. In, yeah, in every single game in this World Cup, Portugal's front row get battered, apart from, like, three scrums where they absolutely, like, mull at the opposition. And I don't but get like- it. You can tell they're amateur rugby players yeah, across the board. They just and put like, everything into one scrum. They did it yeah. against the All Blacks. They've got one or two scrums in them per game. So they've got that one scrum where they push the All Blacks off the ball. <laughs> but then they've also got, like, they get battered by Romania consistently here until, like, the odd, really important scrum where they yeah. all dig in and suddenly they're just blowing these, like, professionals backwards. Because Romania professionalized the team in 2003. Like, so they had a, yeah. they were a fully professional outfit here where Portugal entirely, entirely amateur. Yeah, but that front row, so for our favourite, Rui Cordeiro, the largest man and the most yes. beautiful man in this World Cup. Joaquin Ferreira takes the captaincy, the hooker, and Christian Spachuk, who I've grown to really like more and more as the games have gone on. And again, like he's like the typical tight head kind of cliche is always like the cornerstone of the pack. Mm. And in Portugal's sense it's like he would do his best to stand perfectly still for most of the scrums until they have the agreement that this is the one they're attacking per half yes. of rugby at which point he absolutely blows whichever world-class t- loose head is in front of him off the ball it's absolutely fantastic the other thing that happens right right after this game mm. Rui Cordero announced like two days after this game he was retiring from the national team which good servant he's been man yeah, and the fact that he went out with a try against the All Blacks is just... Only 31 years old. Really? Yeah. I thought it was about 38, bless him. Me too. Oh, but yeah, he's great in this tournament. Even though, Even though he gets blown off every scrum, like, I just feel and like... And it sounds so patronising, but for an amateur player playing against world-class players, yeah. the amount he gives to his jersey throughout this World Cup, I just think is inspiring. Yeah. But... So long as rugby is played in Portugal, that try he scores will be shown. Yeah. And it's that thing we were saying, right, earlier about like Gontaniak and so on. And yes, it is relative to Portugal, but hmm. we've seen Portuguese rugby rise back. And a lot of it, and we get into this in the video, is because this squad inspired a generation of kids to take up rugby. And yeah. those kids have now come through and are now playing for the national team. And yeah. you look across the board, like the first one to come with Nuno Sosa Guedas, their fullback who said outright, like, when he wins first cap in 2016, I start playing rugby because I watched this team play in 2007 on the TV. I watched him play against New Zealand. I then looked forward to the next game, then got really into it and started begging after each game his parents to take him down to a rugby club. He did. A few years later, he runs out for the national team. We know a yeah. generation of people who have that same story coming through. 
And that is the legacy of this team as much as anything. Like yeah. you can talk about how well they played and how great they were and how much fun they were to watch. Now it was a vet scoring against the All Blacks and how they really pushed Romania mm. in this game. But ultimately, right, they inspired the generation who have managed to make rugby now a much bigger sport in Portugal, got them to the point where they're releasing a bloody anthem relating to it from one of Portugal's yeah. biggest rock bands. And in which they're now, they have the greatest generation of Portuguese rugby players ever because of what they did in this mm. World Cup. Yeah, and as you say, that is Rui Cordero scoring against the All Blacks. Mm. And then, in that example, you know, you look forward to the next game. where, Like this game against Romania, where they push a much more favoured team that is yeah. professional all the way. And look... I'm going to be so biased to Portugal here because I got so into them as this game goes further on. Yeah, and I kind of... So the other interesting thing about this game, right? This game took place in Stadium de Toulouse in Toulouse. Yes. Which is wonderful at the best of times. You know, France's kind of biggest prime rugby city, a place I know we're both very excited to visit during the upcoming Rugby World Cup in just a few months. We're just a few months away from going to Toulouse. That's very exciting to watch rugby, to watch the bloody All Blacks play. That's going to be hugely exciting. But the other important thing was that both Romania and Portugal had been, they set up their World Cup camp in Toulouse or around Toulouse in Mm. the kind of surrounding area. So it's a home game for both. Yeah. But the really interesting thing this led to, right, was a lot of locals, clearly because they had these two teams staying on the doorstep, they were seeing the players out and about in town all the time. You had both teams went and did like training sessions in schools and so on, where they used school pitches or whatever else, and then would like meet kids and speak to kids afterwards and so on. You had both teams really going out and being part of the local community. And what this led to was a huge crowd. You had 35,000 people coming for this game that had, when played in Romania earlier that year, only sold about 8,000 tickets. Right? That's remarkable. <laughs> you had significantly more people. And this is a World Cup game. It's more prestigious. And you've got travelling fans on mm. both sides and everything. Right? Fine. Whatever. But largely because you had people, and it kind of became a big thing in Toulouse like, that week. Like I'm not going to say it was like, not something something people remember. It's, like, it's like a local derby. Like, it's Man United week, Man City. Yeah, exactly. Everyone kind of picked like, are you team Romania or team Portugal? Based on like, the two teams that have been in their backyard the entire month. That's immense. That's so, so cool. that It was like, these are our local lads. Yeah. So you had like, you know, people from the same workplace that one of them might have met Pedro Leal down the supermarket. Yeah. Another one, you know, my love... kid might have gone and done a training session at school and Christian Petra had stood and watched yeah. for five minutes. I love the thought that like, people would have been going around just like, oh, bloody glory supporting Romanian scum. <laughs> just walked past me. Like, you know, because the crowd was pretty in favour of Portugal, I would say. Yeah. Like, but the thing is, by the second half, they are. The yeah. first half, like they are cheering both sides and they're really behind if both sides. If you turn up to this game in a France then... or a Toulouse shirt, you're a coward. <laughs> Take a side, get off the fence, man. As the second half rolls on and people are like, oh, Portugal could do this. They yeah. start to really become far less partisan and people drop their allegiances in favour of an upset. And I'm all for that. Yeah. Just the first half is quite turgid, I'd say. It's kind of similar to, to last week that yeah. both teams are trying to figure each other out for a lot of the first half. So I loved this first half in a really like rugby nerdy like mm. World Cup finally way. Yeah, sure, sure. Because the intensity is sky high. I would say the kicking game from both sides is 
varied but effective. Like, mm. as in Portugal are quite creative with their kicking game, whereas Romania are giving it to the lad who has like a 90 metre boot on him and oh, just going, right. right, come back from that then. It has that vibe, right. As we talk about the best World Cup finals, feel like they will be decided on one player missing one tackle. Yeah. Or one player dropping one ball. Like one mistake will decide this game, which is what the best, like the best type World Cup final type games for me are those. They are mm. games that are on a knife edge and it will be because the two teams are so level, one error will change the game and swing it the other way. This feels like that, except both teams are more likely to ma- miss that tackle. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's and like who so can cling was, on the longest. Yeah. Hugely into that, right? Because Romania are a better team. And it's pretty yeah. evident, right? Their kicking game is better. You know, the likes of Ferku and so on add a dimension to their team that Romania don't really have, that Portugal don't really have, rather. Pedro yeah. Leal has a couple of really nice touches, but, like, there isn't the kind of subtlety that a few of the, a couple of the Romanian players have. Portugal have um, to think a lot harder about how they yeah. can break Romania down, whereas well, Romania sometimes can just do it. Pack is bloody enormous. Yeah. They've got them at the scrum, as you say, on like 90% of occasions. The mall is on top and they are dominating them at the line out. You know, I think Portugal lose their first three line out balls. However, the one thing Romania have got to count with, and as you say, they go in, in the rare position of being favourites, which is never the case in World Cups, at least. You yeah, know, it's kind of a really rare first time for a lot of these players, except for Gonteniak, who was bloody playing in 1926. But... They're faced with like, we are better in like almost every area except for the fact that this Portuguese team are willing to die on the field if that's what it costs <laughs> yes. in this game. Yes. And Romania are like, well, okay, we'll go off of like maybe a slightly bad injury. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to die for it. It's Portugal are 90% passion, 10% initiative. And all yes. of that 10% is taken up by Duarte Pinto at 10. <laughs> yes. Who has a blinder? He like, plays an absolute blinder so, on so he's many been occasions. A bit up and down in this tournament so far. Yeah, yeah. But I think this is the strongest game by some way. Yeah, he's so, so good here. As I say, he is so aware from an early position that his boot is nowhere near the size of Julian Dumitrash. His <laughs> no. not opposite man, but in theory opposite man, because mm. Dumitrash is doing all the kicking for Romania. And he's the guy he's kicking to the majority of the time playing fullback. So He's aware that he's going to have to be so much more creative with his kicking game. You know how Will Skelton has to wear custom-made boots because yeah. you can't get boots in the size that fits him? Yes. Yeah. Dumitras, they do make boots in the size that fits him, but they're clown shoes. Yes. Like, that's how big his boot is. Yeah. It's genuinely insane how far he can kick a ball. But Pinto realises so early on, after a few kicking battles, right, I'm just going to have to look for space here constantly. Mm. And sometimes that means he takes relative risks in that what he's doing is so low risk you kind of like it's yeah. easy to criticize like he will be 30 meters out from the try line and instead of going for an attack he will pick like cross field trip the ball to pin it into the corner put Romania on the five meter line to throw him to a line mm. he does that sort of thing quite regularly I would say in the first yeah. half and I love it I love how yeah. low risk Portugal are here because how many stupid tries did they concede against the All Blacks where they did something daft, you know? Yeah. And same can be said against Italy and against Scotland. So the fact that they're so willing to tighten their game up against another team who play a relatively similar way, albeit with a much bigger pack that they can rely on. Mm. I really, really like that. I think that's a really calculated approach. And I also think Romani don't quite know how they're going to play this as they go into the game. No. Because I think they know there's a chance. There is a version of this game where they run away with it and they take the bonus point. Because yeah. they've done that to them in the Rugby Europe Championship. 
or the ENC as it was at the time, and they've knocked this team apart relatively before, and they do it a couple months down the line. You know, like yeah. we see that is capable. We see that they're possible. But so, like, you get into the first minute of the game, right? Romania get the ball in twenty-two, and we have Dumbrava going for like a speculative cross kick that is on, but also is a risky option that like the odds aren't necessarily in their favour, and Aguilera carries covers it, and you kind of then see like Romania spend a lot of that first half trying to play attacking rugby and trying to play the kind of rugby that will like knock Portugal over so that they can carry on and get the bonus point in the second half. And Portugal just don't give in to it because they're so, so committed and so, so willing to fly out a line and chop and smash and just apply massive pressure. And you have scrums where Romania win it outright because they've got this bloody enormous pack that's shoving Portugal back. And then you see Uva or Colino fly off the scrum and just lodge the number eight or scrum yeah. off the ball. Like that happens like three or four times. Oh mate, where the ball is Coutinho has back. a great game, doesn't he? Mm. He gives away like an endless amount of penalties. Don't get yeah, me wrong. I mean, that's the but thing. He's but he's like... so fired up and he makes so many huge shots. He's great as is Yao Uva. The amount of huge moments those guys come up with because so much of the first 20 minutes is just taken up by Romania getting turned over in the opposition 22 and yeah. Pinto then just firing the ball back at them into space. Yeah. So there is, the one interesting thing, right, that kind of defines how a lot of this goes on to happen, how Portugal managed to get themselves in this headspace, and that is a man we haven't really talked about, their coach, one Mr. Tomas Moraes. However, I should well, I mean, I say co, I say Mister Professor Tomas nice. Moraes. Now, how much do you know about this particular man? Fuck all. <laughs> nice. So I was saying this just before we start recording, but Thomas Murray might be the most important man in the history of Portuguese rugby. I think there's certainly a big, big argument to be made for that. Okay. He's a kind of like absolutely vital figure in the changes in Portuguese rugby, in things growing. It's kind of like him and the group of students that brought rugby to Portugal in the first place. Sure. So, I mean, like a lot of this starts entirely with him. So he was a former player himself. He was part of, so, and I mean, this is a, I managed to dig out the footage of this for the video that's forthcoming of Portugal, 1994. They managed to get all the way through to like the last game of qualifying, like their best ever campaign up until 2007, up until here, where they played Wales and the winner would go through and qualify for the World Cup in South Africa. Now, Wales going to win by over 100 points. <laughs> Nigel Walker scores four tries. Legend. Uh, do you know who Nigel Walker's opposite man that day was? Who was it? Thomas Murray. Ah. Who was a former winger. I uh, mean, Nigel Walker, I'd give him to Nigel Walker. Yeah, now, you know, acting chief executive of the World Rugby Union. Thomas Murray, yeah, he at that point was a PE teacher and, you know, played rugby, played in the centre, moved on to the wing later, kind of bounced about a bit. Won exactly 20 caps over a kind of four or five year career. However, he then, when he was just 25, picked up a serious back injury, was advised to stop playing. And obviously, as you know, like a, a smart lad himself understood, like, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't a good idea. And so goes and retires from rugby, but wants to stay involved. So he takes up coaching, age 25. Wow, that's um, very young. Yeah. Starts to kind of build a coaching career until by the time he's 30, he's appointed as a coach of the Portuguese Sevens team, right? What he begins to build there with the Portuguese Sevens team basically builds them into the team that becomes staples on the World Series. In... Did he coach Estevez? 
I believe so. I believe his time overlap because he coached. So he went back to coaching after this World Cup. Quick word for Estevez: as well. What a player! What a player! What a player! So yeah, so he set up the kind of Portuguese seven system. Was a huge factor in them kind of like essentially professionalizing without professionalizing, and them kind of like becoming more competitive in building them up in like getting it into schools and so on younger, so they had more players learning it sooner. Was a huge factor in them kind of building that up. Gets them to the place where. Yeah, like Portugal qualifying for the World 7 Series. They become a core team on the 7 Series with him as the coach. He then, aged 31, starts juggling as head coach of both the 7s and 15s teams. Oh, okay. So he's the best coach in Portugal by a landslide at this point. By an absolute landslide, yeah. I think it's fair to say. Wow, okay. So he's made some serious leaps in just six years of coaching? Yeah. He was named best coach within the Portuguese Rugby Federation three years in a row prior to and in his first year in charge. He also had a brief spell coaching with the Western Province and the Stormers. Okay. Uh, where he was kind of like an assistant, like basically to learn the ropes. And he kind of had like a, a season That's where he was involved. Good that he managed to get that though. It's a big yeah. gig. So they kind of brought him over as like, let's have a look at this guy. Let's, you know, kind of poke around. He spent a lot of time like basically shadowing and watching and seeing how they did things, kind of building out from there. So then 2001... The Sevens team compete incredibly, incredibly hard. He's still working as a PE teacher part-time. He started reducing his hours not to focus on coaching two international rugby teams. But 2003, he's then named Portuguese Sports Coach of the Year for the strides he's taken in terms of rugby team improving the competitiveness and you know the Sevens team obviously growing as well. Until 2003, as we mentioned before, they beat Romania, who at the time were the best team in Europe the best non-Six Nations team in Europe. And they, wouldn't you know it, just a year later, in 2004, they take that another step higher and they win the Rugby Nations Cup, now the Europe Rugby Championship. They win it for okay. the first and only time ever in 2004. Which is huge, considering yeah. the competition they come up against there. Absolutely massive to say, you go back just a few years and teams were putting 60 points on them before he came in. Yeah. Like you go back to the late 90s. What a difference he's made, which has yeah. been long lasting. So this change comes about in like four years of this coach in his early 30s. The knock on effect of that team. with the team they brought through now, as we were saying earlier. Yeah. So he's nominated for coach of the year by the IOB, which instead goes to Clive Woodward, which is bullshit. <laughs> but hey... And then, yeah, he manages to lead them off the back of that through this successful World Cup qualifying campaign. So that game against Uruguay that we talked about for the qualifying, they win by one point on aggregate and qualify for this World Cup where he takes them in as this kind of like hero figure, essentially. He then went on to coach them until they got knocked out of qualification at the last round in 2011 and he stood down after that. Okay. He w remained as like a technical advisor for the Portuguese Rugby Federation, remained to coach the Sevens team until 2011 as well. He wrote a book in the time. He now works as a commentator. He commentated on the oh, qualifying cool. game in Portuguese. If you ever watched the Portuguese coverage, he was commentating. And he's also worked as like an advisor for World Rugby, going into like smaller nations and like advising them on where they can help improve. He's definitely qualified. Yeah. And also got back involved in the Portuguese Rugby Federation on a kind of technical advisor level in the last few years. And has been a big factor in them kind of he clearly knows his shit, doesn't he? He really, really does. Also, like somewhere along the line, does his kind of like Doctor Hood, becomes a professor, all of this. There's like, he did a bloody, the Portuguese equivalent of a TED talk, which is in Portuguese. And I tried to watch it, but you, you can't understand it at all. 
He had a brief spell coaching the Portuguese national five-a-side football team as well. Um, what? Yeah, honestly, absolutely bizarre. The amount of things on his on his CV. He won an award for like best nutritionist type deal as a coach in Portugal. How qualified is this man? He's honestly, I think, the most qualified man available possible anywhere. You know what you're saying about Rihanna know more about every sport than you? Yeah. Like, what oh, if yeah. this guy had a conversation with Rihanna? Who would win that what? fight? <laughs> I mean, give Rihanna a couple of years till she's a professor. And it's then true. then we'll talk. Then we'll talk. He's got a few years on her yet. Yeah, so he did like, he got like an Olympic committee recommendation as a coach for his involvement there. Is there anything um, this guy's not achieved? He's like won awards for journalism as well since standing down as what? a coach. As you won said, commentator of the year. Yeah. Won an award of sport merit. Honestly, like, you start looking This guy's through... going to become the president of Portugal. Yeah. He's just, like, genuinely, it is insane, the amount that he's achieved. Uh, he qualified as, like, a football coach as well in 2021, just so he's got, like, another string to his bow. I'll tell um, you what, in retiring from that back injury's aged well. <laughs> yeah, like, kind of probably wasn't what he was meant to be doing, was it? Like, in fairness, it must have been a tough call, but he definitely made the fucking right he's, one. Yeah. You know, he's done a right for himself off the back of this. Yeah, say that again. But then also, like, you start thumbing through his achievements before he retired, right? He was the top scorer in the Portuguese first division three years in a row. Of course he was! Yeah. Like, I knew that. Um, I knew okay, that. Okay, no, sorry. I misread the thing about the 5 football team. He was their fitness coach. He was their kind of strength and con- their, like, conditioning and fitness coach. Okay. Whilst he was a player. <laughs> of the Portuguese rugby team. Yep, of course. He was named Player of the Year in the 1993 Portuguese First Division. <laughs> it's honestly, he managed a gym for two years. <laughs> Where does he find the time to have these talents? <laughs> he's just like, he's completely absurd. He's taught like three different subjects. He organised the International Beach Rugby Tournament for five years. Oh my God. Stop it. Stop doing things. You can just I find keep it hard through everything. A podcast and a channel. I know. It's like, and there's two of us. Yeah. Like, the, honestly, the amount you can kind of like thumb through. He was president of the Portuguese Rugby. Like, it's honestly stop, like. Stop listing his achievements. Like, literally everyone in the world has underperformed compared to him. Yeah. Like, this is before we look at He's how. He's the like, Donald he... Glover of rugby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he sold a book that sold well in Portugal. I don't think it was a bestseller, but like that's the only thing he's ever come up short on. He's still a, like a published, celebrated author. Yeah. Oh, isn't his it life called hard? Comprisimino. Nunca distrista, which translates to a commitment. Do you think he's ever slept? Is he like... <laughs> is he like really ugly or something? There must be like... There must be something He must be. He must be. He seemed to lose his hair really early. So I think that was the payoff. <laughs> okay, okay. No, I bet he's, like, really good-looking and, like, charismatic and lovely. Like, oh, stop it. Stop it. Also worth mentioning, his son, Federico Moraes, is a professional surfer who qualified for the 2020 Olympics. Well, well, yeah. If that guy's your dad, you're always going to go to the Olympics, aren't you? Yep. He's known as Kikas. That's his surfing name. (laughs) Bloody Nepo baby. I know. Born with all of the talents in the world. So he won a Golden Globe, but it turns out it's a different, it's a Portuguese sports award, not like the Golden Globes, the like <laughs> movie awards. No, it is. What? Oh my God, no, it's a Portuguese version of the Golden Globe, but there's Stop still it. film awards. Stop it. What did his son win a bloody... Oh, wow. Okay, so they have like, 
they have awards for like best performer like outside of films best singer best everything else and he won be- he was nominated for best newcomer for general stuff uh he also won best european male surfer of the year his son in 2017 i'll tell you what if you go round their house and you go for a shit in their toilet and you look up at the shelf and you look at all of the trophies they've got up there you won't be able to get out of that room I tell you what, no, Federico's only won like two trophies. Like he's a letdown, and he's thirty-one. <laughs> like by this time, his dad was coaching the national team to their greatest ever achievement. He's got time yet. He's got time yet. He's going to become surfing's greatest coach or something. He's honestly like he was only nominated for World Coach of the Year. I still want to go go for a shit around the house. Yeah, honestly, extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary. Yeah. Big fan of him talking about as well, like how excited he is for the 2023 team and how he says they're going to be so much better than his team. So it's like a big part of it's the people already know the Wolves and they're like far more of a brand. We don't need to establish the sport. But a lot of that, right, is down to him. Yeah. A lot of that is down to like the role he played in building Portugal from being a team that was losing by 60 points to these teams, to a team that was beating these tier two nations and then believed going into this game that they could win it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I know we're already like, quite a way into the first half here. Mm. But I feel like that whole angle of belief becomes, Mm. and I'm going to segue back to this, very evident when they have their big moment in the first half. Yes. Which all begins with, as you said, a Duarte Pinto cross kick. Yes. Where it feels like a very low risk play, as I say. Like he goes for that cross kick. He's like 25, 30 metres out from the goal line. And it's, to the casual observer, it's negative. To a Portuguese fan, it's conservative. And that was exactly what they needed. Because Romania have the line-out. Yeah. And God bless Razvan Mavrodin throwing into this line-out at Hooker. He has a pretty solid game throwing into the line-out. But this is the one that goes horribly wrong. As he overthrows yes. it into the arms of Joaquim Ferreira stood at the tail. Ferreira is five minutes out from the try line at this point, and he just flies to the line. He just dives with all of his might, and it takes an incredible tackle by Tonita to stop him. Yeah, but this is the big like stand-up moment of that mm. first half, because Portugal have been so competitive, but they haven't looked like scoring a try. No, they've not. Up until not here where they're suddenly handed this chance out of absolutely nowhere. And I'll be honest, once Ferreira was stopped, I thought, oh no, they're not going to score. Yeah, you thought you thought that was kind of the chance gone, didn't you? Yeah. Because Ferreira drives to the line and looks so close. Yeah, he's like then, a few inches out. When they are remaining just those few inches out, they go for a pick and go. I believe it's Hoyova has a go at it. They keep driving, they keep driving until it opens back up the other way. And... Back the way he came goes Joaquin Ferreira. Yes. And yeah, that second pick and go, the the placement was so quick that Ferreira Mm. can just go before Romania are set. And Ferreira is so quick to pick that ball up and just drive. And also he gets a fantastic latch from Rui Cordero in behind him. And like when you've got a man who's about 28 stone behind you, like two front rows are pretty difficult to stop, and he finishes it brilliantly. Gets the ball and down. It is a, it's one of these where he drives over so cleanly that on the second viewing, you start to look and check his scrum half who's ended up defending there or something. Sure. But it isn't. You know, no. it's it's not. It's Tony. Bigger men. Yeah. Yeah. 
like who is one of their best players. He is very much the Romanian John Eels, who he drives through and under. Like he just hits like perfectly, like the knee level. And there's no way you can stop someone with your knees unless you're you've got uh, blades on your knees. And the, indeed, Tonita doesn't. So yeah, yeah, Ferreira drives under him. So Ferreira is Portugal's most capped player of all time. This is his final game for Portugal. He retires, and Moraes instantly brings him in as defence coach, as forwards coach. Wow! He comes How many straight caps into the, the national team. Eighty-four caps. Bloody good. So he was their that. most capped player up to that point. The Uvers go on to overtake him. Okay. Like he do, he isn't the most capped player to this day, but he was at the time. By some way, when their first his first cap for Portugal in 1993. What? So he also started that game where Thomas with Thomas Moraes against Wales. In 1994. Man alive, how far he's come. That's yep. so class that he scores the try here. John Taylor brings it up on comms that that's only his third try for his country yep. in 84 games. Wow. What a moment to score and what a way to go it's out. It's the full circle moment, isn't it? Yeah. That you finish your career he's as also, a World Cup try scorer. He captains them in Vasco Uva's absence, takes over as captain. And just like, it is. Up until, apart from the result, the absolute dream way to go out for him, yeah. like an end to his career. When in 1993, he probably couldn't have dreamt of that, of in so many years' time, playing in a World Cup, scoring a try. To put your team ahead in a World yeah. Cup. That's such a huge moment. That's so cool for him. Again, it's a this, really this Portuguese team thing. is full of moments that will like, be forgotten. His debut in 1993 was also against Romania. They lost 41-13. Wow. Which is kind of the scoreline I think people were expecting in this game. Yes. Even the thought of him and putting them ahead is unthinkable. Yeah. Here, 20 minutes in, Ferreira puts them ahead. Duarte Pinto steps up and drills the conversion. Nails it, mate. Nails it. 7-0. I love watching Duarte Pinto. Yeah. He was so, so good in this game. On the contrary, as soon as Romania get the ball back, they just like run completely out of patience because they they're just baffled by the fact they're losing to Portugal. So yeah. Dumitras just attempts the drop goal from fifty meters. What is he doing? I have no idea. The thing is, he strikes it really bloody well. Obviously, it doesn't go over because the whole compromise of power and accuracy. But yes. like, what is he doing? This gets booed massively by the crowd. <laughs> I think it's kind of the moment that a lot of the kind of floating voters swing to Portugal. Yeah, a lot of the people. The reversible Portuguese and Romanian T-shirts get turned inside <laughs> yes. out. The people that hadn't met Paul Ikeride in the coffee shop that week yes. suddenly swing around. Yes, I also have written down but... Tonyita business decision inspired break and offload. <laughs> Carry on. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've kind of. Talked about a bit, but like a big theme of this game is Julian Dumitras. Yeah. Just the size of his boot, man. And that's yeah. it. Like, he does a lot of stuff. It's one of those things, like, objectively, the majority of the stuff he does in this game has an overwhelmingly positive outcome. Yes. And yet I can't quite quantify whether he plays that well. So, right, okay. Not to skip ahead to man of the match dick of the day, <laughs> but, right, he's not my man of the match. I will okay. say that. But if I were picking it not on the player who plays best in this game or has the biggest impact on who wins and loses this game, but on the player who does the most rugby, yeah. I think Julian Dumitras is man of the match. He's the player like, whose name is mentioned most in commentary. Yes. Say. There is nobody who does more rugby than Julian Dumitras. <laughs> yes. 
some of it good, some of it bad, some of it completely sometimes impossible maybe to quantify. Good, sometimes maybe shit. Yes. Yes. Like you have no idea what he's going to do. Well, no, you know what he's going to do. He's going to kick the ball. You have no idea how it's going to go whenever yeah. he gets it. Other but than like, miles. Yeah. There's one moment where he picks this beautiful line where you're like, he's skimming through and you think he could score, but it's called as four because he overran it. And, and there's the a few moments like that where like every time he gets involved, things don't quite click, but also they could be absolutely phenomenal and game winning. And him having this 90 meter boot, like there's a few times that Duarte Pinto and Jose Pinto as well, actually, of engaging him in this kind of kicking battle. And he is then just sending it like an extra 20 meters change mm. on top of where they were hitting it. And they realize this is a completely pointless strategy. Like you've got to hang it in the end, try and test them and put pressure on him. Because if you give him a chance to clear, he is more than doing so. Like yeah. he is absolutely killing us in every kicking battle. Like it's impossible to beat him. He kind of feels like they saw how OP his kicking was in this game. So after about five, 10 minutes, they start to nerf him. <laughs> and all of his other stats just take a plummet. So suddenly he's like dropping the ball under no pressure. He's throwing passes into touch. Yeah. He's running, overrunning those lines. Like everything starts to fall apart apart from his kicking game, which remains like okay oh, as heck. Yeah, mate. If he didn't have the largest kick that any rugby player's ever had, he would have been yeah. dog shit in this game. Like so, we would be talking about what a terrible, terrible player he is. The thought I had for Julian Dumatrash, right? Yeah. Is if he'd been picked up by a top club when he was 21, he would have been unbelievable. Yeah, he would have been front stage. But yeah, the problem is he wasn't coached properly from an early age. Yeah. Like he was let be this kind of like chaotic player with one outstanding skill hmm. for a really, really long time. Yeah. And it just never went for him. You know, he never got the, the chance he could have had. And he's a great player at this level, yeah. like Romanian level. But he, there is a world in which he's like a world-class kicker. He could have... You look at what happened with Santiago Rata, right? Santiago mm. Rata gets picked up when he's 22, goes blank cast, and three or four years later, suddenly he is an absolutely phenomenal player. He's one of the best scrum halves in the top 14, and he keeps Antoine Dupont out of the team of the year. Yeah. Right? That could have happened with Dumatrash if he'd been coached and taken to... Easily. His, could have become a full-time pro, and like he became a full-time pro and a leader of this World Cup, but like... By that point, he was like five years into his test career mm. and he was kind of, he wasn't necessarily getting the like highest standard of coaching that he could have been getting sure. consistently, you know, around the, you know, around the everything. And like, yes, Daniel Santamans, the head coach for Romania, was a former French player who was actually a former Toulouse player himself. But like, he's a former hooker, you know, yeah, like what's sure. he teaching a fullback? Yeah. Fullback every skill set. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. But, yeah, there's the majority of the time in the kicking battles, he knows exactly the reply he's going to get. And he doesn't need to be at all smart in his kicking. He just needs to absolutely leather it. And he does that every single time. But there is one particular moment. I think this is kind of the last thing I have to say about the first half, weirdly, where he kicks to Pedro Leal, who the majority of the time has just been sticking the ball back mm. in the air. But Pedro Leal is, of course, like a sevens expert. It was one of... One of Portugal's all-time great sevens players was a player who would like light up the circuit like a lot of time for a number of years, and he does this hitch kick on the outside of Ferku, and just goes. And you realize, like, oh wait, he's lightning. Goes for this chip over the top, which Dumitrash eventually just has to carry into touch because he's got no angle to work with. And Portugal get a line out in the remaining twenty-two with about a, a three or four minutes left of the first half. They mm. throw it in, they, they, they manage to get it, which isn't something you can take for granted in this game, because the 
Romanian lineup is very much the one that's on top. The Portuguese lineup's a bit of a mess oh, throughout this game. Enormously, the Portuguese lineup is like a, a shamble, like a yeah. genuine shambles. Yeah. Like for everything else we can say in praise about Portugal, their lineup is. And not- Romania have their code cracked as well. Like they're always yeah. jumping at the right place. Like uh, it's something that Lee had said when we had him on the pod. It's like when did players realise that you don't have to shout the lineup call? What genius yes. devised the idea that you can just go and whisper it in the hooker's ear? But yes, anyway, so they get the line out, they set up a phase, and then immediately Duarte Pinto goes for a drop goal. And mm. as soon as he shapes for it, you have a couple of things fly through your head. The first one is that's absolutely the right thing to do. Take this to 10 0, make them so pissed off in their yeah. halftime huddle. Yeah. And the other thing that goes through your mind is this is going to miss. Yes. Because they have not set it up at all, and he's not yep. in a good position to strike this. And it misses. And like. It's not a great strike. You know, it comes off his foot a bit wonky. It goes very high in the air, dips slightly short, goes slightly wide. And you just think if they took one or two more phases, he's a good enough kicker that he could have got that through. If they actually had set up for a drop goal rather than just improvising it. Yeah, exactly. It looks like he knows he's going to go for a drop goal in a couple of phases time. He looks up, he's received the ball. He has one player outside him who'll be completely isolated if he gives it. Yes, and And he just sees the sticks. Yeah. Yeah. So he just goes, goes right here, this is the moment. I yeah. don't think that's when he was intending to go for it, but I think he realises he was not going to have another chance. And he doesn't have a remaining in his face, so he's got a moment of time. Mm. Yeah. So it's annoying because it's the right option, but in the complete wrong way of going about it. Yeah. Like you're screaming for a drop goal beforehand as the prime option, considering how like... So going into this game, Arai said like, we've got a lot of tricks up our sleeve, we're going to show a far more attacking game than we've shown so far. They didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. What he means is we're going to try cross kick once. Yes. Um, but, you know, they realise that... to Aguiar we are at some stage. Yes. Who also, like, the other thing is, David Matthias had been due to start this game and Aguiar came in quite last minute, but has that kind of, like, confidence and energy of someone that didn't sleep poorly the previous night thinking about how nervous they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I've, that's pretty much what I've got for the first half. Mm. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Romania um, go yeah, in seven nil up, and that is which is a remarkable achievement in a itself. huge moment in itself. And Romania do look a little bit pissed off, not as much as it would have been if they got out to ten nil, I think, but because they know that they're in the game. But this is where, and we've spoken about this before. I can't remember who it was we spoke about. It will come to me. But Portugal have the compliment paid to them that at half time Romania break the glass. 
Yes. And they bring on both Sokol and Tinku. They bring on their two best players at the pretty much earliest convenience. They bring on both of them and go, right, this is a crisis, you know? And that is the compliment that was needed. I think we spoke about this in the Italy-Portugal game, where they then yeah. brought on, like, Parise or Troncon or whoever, and that was their win, you know? I can't remember which game it was we spoke about that on. But yes, that is the moment where you think, oh, this is significant. Portugal are in this game. They're, yeah. they're rattling the opposition here. So this was a tactic devised by the Portuguese coast, Daniel Santamans. After the game, directly after the game, right, in the immediate post-match, both Sokol and Marius Tinku, who obviously, both players that go and have a hand in how this game goes afterwards, both asked about this. Do you want to hear their quotes? Go on then. Immediately after the game, right? Go on. Sokol was asked about him starting on the bench when interviewed as captain. And he said, that was the coach's strategy. He told us two days before the match. I said to him, I'm not the best for playing the second half. I should have started. <laughs> Ooh. Marius Tinku said, the first half, I was not happy. I was not playing. <laughs> it was a strategy of the coach for me to not play the first half, to give everyone else a chance in the first half. Then I came in at the finish. I was not happy with that. I'm still not happy with that, but I will accept it. <laughs> okay, okay. You never bench Marius Tinku ever again. No. Did they ask so, him um, about the game squad, in 2011 man. where Suman started? <laughs> I mean, they should have. They should have asked my Bogdan Suman in general. I'm sure he wasn't happy. No. Do you want to know the one ever quote that's on this, like, post-match like pack of quotes that I managed to find. Go on. It's from Rui Cordero, who yes. said, there was nothing good about the Portuguese scrum against Romania. <laughs> this is Romania's third game, and this is our fourth. We are not professionals, and they are, so our preparation is not the same. I think it is fatigue. <laughs> if this was their third game as well, we'd have had them on toast, lads. Yep. Just, like, mostly it's the Tinku and Sokol quotes because those two are pissed off yes but haven't been on the bench and they're and both the brilliant is, by the way when yeah they come on both of them bring that energy into the game mm. like was it a good decision to piss off your two best players and make them angry with you i don't know daniel santamon does not continue before beyond this tournament okay. <laughs> but but it does lead to them both being angry and willing to prove a point because they're behind to bloody portugal who they should have put away by now yes Tinku personally kicked Santaman out, I think. Yes. <laughs> he was the, really the man in charge. But yes, like, that's such a huge turning point, I think, those two coming on. I think they're both excellent when they come on. And, like, they spend so much of the time, like, early on when they come on, like, just giving it to those two. Tinku's just yeah. stood in the wide channels and they're just giving it to him because they know he's the most reliable player. And also, an interesting Romanian legend that they seemingly just bring on randomly that we've not spoken about. I don't know if you know where I'm going to go with this, but at one point, they do a temporary sub, like in ice hockey, for Stefan Constantine suddenly arrives <laughs> on the pitch. Do you know at which point I'm talking about this? Nope, because I would have talked about nothing else throughout the game if I did. That's true. Well, for anyone who doesn't remember, Stefan Constantine is Robbie's favourite player of all time. Uh, Ever because he sparked a man out and then scored a winning try in the 1987 tournament and didn't He's, get told off. Honestly, everything I want a Romanian lock from the 80s to be, <laughs> yes. in that he is recklessly violent, but also incredibly skillful. And I'd just like to take a moment to reflect on the glittering career of Christian Petra. What do you think of him as a rugby player? 
a good solid player, great servant for Romania. You know, played for them for a very, very long time. Uh-huh. Ninety-two caps, uh-huh. everything else. And, and I thought, I thought I trusted him. I thought he's quite a disciplined lad. Like he's quite good at lineouts and stuff. Like yeah. I didn't realise that he was a bit of a dick on the side every now and then because I've never seen this side of him come out. Excuse my voice. I've been to Glastonbury, uh, I, but suddenly Stefan Constantine possessed him because Christian Petra kicked Spatchuk in the face whilst holding the ball. And like, so the toucher steps in and is like, I think someone might kick someone in the face, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Because the crowd the are like, shouting, he kicked him in the face while he had the ball. In that accent, which is bizarre because it's really more of a Bordeaux accent than Toulouse. And the referee is like, are you sure he kicked him in the face? And so the touch judge goes, I mean, I think so. He's like, well, it doesn't sound very sure to me. What I think we should do is let them off with a warning and just like call them over and be like, look, I don't know. I don't know. Is it Christian? Christian. I don't know. If you did kick him in the face, probably don't do that again. If you didn't, as you were, son, you he know. Did it carrying fine. the ball. I genuinely can't believe it. Like, Spachuk was kind of clinging onto his ankles and Petra hmm. slash Constantine didn't like this. And so as... Spatrick was getting back up. He just kind of goes, shoot, and then kicks him in the head. Anything goes in Liga Nationality of Rugby in the noughties, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But fair play, the lad got away with it. I mean, yeah. it was extremely Stefan Constantine. And at that point, I think this lad is scoring the winning try from 70 metres. <laughs> it's going to be an exact recreation of Romania robbing another team. Very bizarre. And also, after that telling off happens, you can hear the referee on the mic going to one of the touch judges saying, I think the tempo's gone up, Carlo. Need to keep an eye out. Because clearly they're yeah. anticipating a few more fights, which don't really come, I'll be honest. No. I mean, it, that's true, actually. It is alarmingly calm. Mm. Yeah. For the game that it is. But there does reach a point where Portugal do start to lose their discipline a little bit. Like... Coutinho gets pinged for taking Pinto off the ball when he's trying to pinch it off the floor in that kind mm. of ball-out situation. Penalvo brings them all down his own 22, and he's warned, he's told, you know, next time you do that, it'll be a yellow card. And suddenly, Romania are into the Portuguese 22, and they're pounding away, and this is the first time they look like they could score. Yeah. And the defence that follows from Portugal is absolutely enormous. It's fired, man. It's so There's... fired up an initial kind of really huge goal line stand. They win a couple of like incredible turnovers. The problem is Pinto, not a man who's particularly good at exit kicks. No. That is not his area. Especially not under pressure. Like mm. there's a few times where he does pretty well and makes it up to like just short of the 22, you know? Yeah. And it looks like he's done quite well, but dummy trash when he has three times the length on his boot <laughs> makes that look silly. Yes. Uber wins one particularly great turnover and then he just can't oh, do anything with he, it. He wins a few. Yeah, yeah Uber, he wins so many great turnovers. About two of the two percent of them legal. But he's great. He's so scrappy. And yet we're left in this kind of difficult situation where they just keep giving Romania more and more chances. And they're mm. getting pushed back like ten, fifteen meters. And yet that's sort of all they can manage. Yeah. Until and... they keep driving and we get to the aforementioned Soren Sokal, pissed off as anything gets up to the try line, drives over, and we go upstairs for a particularly contentious TMO decision. It's weird because for something where you can so clearly see the ball 
the grass and the white line and all of the mm. players around. It's quite a tough call, isn't it? It really is. It really is. Like, I'm pretty sure it isn't a try. And I think the referee makes the right decision on it. Yes. Agreed. But there's also like, if it had been a ward, I wouldn't have been too angry. Yeah. Like, there's a point where you look at it and think, oh, I'm pretty sure that's the ball grounded on the try line. Yeah. So that means it's probably a try. But it's like, I think it's because the angle where it's clearest, where you can see all three elements at once rather than like two out of three and there's one missing is the one angle where like it gets obscured the moment there will be a grounding. Yeah. And I wonder if it's like the um, Osprey's Leicester game at the start of the season, right? And it's now become a reference point that I use where Jack Morgan like definitely scores that try, but you can't really see it. Yeah. Like, you know that ball's definitely really down. Give like, it. By You've logic, you know, it's, you know it's a try. Like, mm. like, it would feel illogical not to award it because the ball is clearly down. There's no hand that can possibly be under it. Like, mm. the, the thing is on the floor. Like... It's a try. The ball is da- the ball is going to be down. But you can't see it on the you angle. Can't evidence it. No, no. So it becomes like the referee awards it, which is I think fair enough because like it was clearly a try awarded scores. And also, I'm an Ospreys fan, so of course I'd say that. <laughs> yeah. But like also, like I get why Leicester fans were pissed off because it's like 100. Yeah, percent Yes, the correct decision was made, but like you can't with the process. So, yeah, point to grounding. You can't. Yeah. yeah. I'm like and I don't think, I think if there here. is a grounding here. You can't see it. You can't tell yeah. it's there. So yeah. I think they probably are right to award from what they can see. As a knock-on. As not a try, yeah. Which Portugal obviously celebrate immediately. Because, again, I think this gives them a real second wind as it looks mm. like they're starting to die off because they just keep holding out, man, like going mm. through these exits. And, again, they're creeping closer and closer to the 22. But there's that one huge moment where they turn over the Romanian mall, which is like they're meant to be their big weapon, yeah. and get a penalty out of it. And suddenly they find this was back in the Romanian half. And it sounds like we're not describing much here because we're describing, oh yeah, team goes into one half, then loses ball, then goes into the other half. But it's so dramatic. It is. It's so it, intense. It really is. It really is. So Portugal's defence is absolutely immense. To be keeping Romania scoreless for as long as they are, yeah. like they get to the hour mark ahead. They turn the ball over on the hour mark and clear it from a penalty. And they end up, like, in Romania's half, 7-0 up on 60 minutes, which is unbelievable to keep them scoreless and be ahead. From the 50th to the 60th minute, and maybe a little bit beyond that, actually, there were so many points where I thought, this is going to be the moment they implode. Such as Penalva giving away that penalty and Coutinho giving away that penalty. And Yaouva gets penalised at one point. And there's so many moments where I think, this is going to be the one where they implode. And yet they back it up with great D every time. Yeah. Well, almost every time. Because the one moment where I thought, oh, this could be it, is it's the first time this has happened all game. And it's forgivable for that reason. But they go back to the pocket and Duarte Pinto kicks the ball out on the full, just outside of his own 22. This is the turning point. This yeah. is what cost him the entire game, I think. That's the first time he's cracked in 60 minutes against a better team with a bigger it's, pack. Yeah, solidly inside, just outside his own 22, solid inside his own half. And he has played exceptionally well. And he's generally been far more up and down, but he's just been like, it's been 95% hits. Yeah. And suddenly he makes a huge error. Yeah. If he's put that ball out just outside the Romanian 22, Portugal will go on and win this game. Because all yeah. the momentum has been for them. Even if it stays in play and they defend it through sheer yeah. adrenaline, you feel like they're going to close this out for a little bit longer at least. But instead, momentum swings entirely. Romania get a line just outside the 22. They get a penalty off the line out. They kick for the corner again, and this is where everything changes. Romania set for a maul. Marius Tinku slides into the tail, and the maul begins to advance. You're not stopping that for another 50 metres. It's no. such a good maul. And 
even though Portugal do their best to just get their massive bodies in the way, Tinku splinters off and kind of dives in the direction of the posts. Yeah. And it's a great finish by Tinku. And it's one of those moments where you just think that could not have been anybody else. The person yeah. to get the for the opening try when nothing else has worked, it had to be the talisman Marius well, Tinku. Yeah, Sokol takes the line out and Tinku scores. Yeah. Like, how else would that finish? The one-two punch of their two best players coming on in the pack. Yeah. And, like, Romania was so much more direct in the second half. There's far less, mm. like, flashy bullshit and jumping around. And part of that is clearly a change of tactics, including them going, like, right, we're in a game here. We just need to rely on our strengths rather than looking for flashy bonus points shit and cross kicks. But also, yeah. I think a part of it is just bringing on two players who are very sensible and yeah. just go really, like, head on. They will charge and run for anything. And Tinku does that. Sokol does that. But Tinku, yeah, managed to net that try. Notably as well, all the Romanians start jumping about when they got that. Like, yes, we're back in this. We're going to actually win this. Phew, yeah. We're through it. And Tinku tells them all to shut up. Tinku just turns to them and says, no, we're still playing shit. Like, we are still so far below our standard. We need to put the foot on the throat here. And I think that's such a great moment. He is yeah. so focused. He has just scored the equalising try in the Rugby World Cup and he remains so focused on the job. Yeah. And the whole game changes. Yeah. It changes on that cross kick. They score immediately and the whole game suddenly looks different, feels different. Yeah. And it feels like it's Romania's to lose now. It's 7 all at this stage. Kalafatianu steps up and hits the conversion very well. And the other important thing that happens after this try is Portugal sub off Duarte Pinto. Yes. And uh, who's been their they... best player in this game. I was shocked at this point. But the thing that I'd forgotten about was just how good their reserve fly half was in Malhiro. Gonfalo Malhiro, who has the energy of a particularly chaotic magician. Yes. Like yes. he looks like he should, he, he plays like he should be wearing a cape. Yeah. Like a cloak that you can wrap around him at points at random. I think every time I've seen him play in this World Cup, I've not i've forgotten how good he is and i especially did that here because i was like they've subbed off their best player in this game like how are they going to still manage this and the thing i kind of didn't realize because of the nature of portugal's game so far in this world cup is he's a game managing 10 as well him and pinto are cut from the same cloth like it's not like they've subbed him off for because he has like the long baggy football shirt shorts on i just kind of assumed like oh he's gonna be like an attacking 10 and that's such a bad cause to bring him on and what i didn't realize again because portugal haven't been in a tight game in the second half mm. before he is there to manage this game and we spoke previous in the previous game about the very occasional thing that happens where you sub off the best player and it's an inspired decision and you look at it at the time and go what are you doing but actually it does pay off a little bit because my hero is yeah. brilliant off the bench do you want a fun stat about him go on 15 test drop goals for portugal no 15 test drop goals right okay that's inspired. only yeah, only eight players in the history of international rugby have ever scored more. Wow. Johnny Wilkinson, Hugo Porter, Rob Andrew, Diego Dominguez, Nas Bota, Stefano Bellino, Dan Parks. Wow. He's level with Ronan O'Gara. That's a great substitution to make. That's such a good backup to have. Yep. And as well, like around a similar time, Romania bring off Tanita, the starting captain, and bring mm. on Valentino Sachet. And yes. Sashay again, is well, so in the Tanita, early days. Tanita, right? Dumitras fields a 22 dropout after Romania miss a penalty mm. that would have put them ahead. Dumitras then fields a 22 dropout and gives it 
under no pressure, just very casually to Tonita, who stood right next to him. Tonita drops it under absolutely no pressure. It's an and absolute then, rock he's thrown, in fairness. Yeah. But, but still he, under no pressure. He should catch it. Yeah. You know, he's the Romanian John Eels. <laughs> yes, that's so, true. He then falls over and goes, ow, my leg. Yes. And you're like, oh, you're doing that, right? Okay, why is it your leg that's hurt when you fail to catch that ball? Yes. And then he's like on the ground for a real long time. You're like, oh, was he actually hurt? Yeah, And then he yeah. goes off. And you're like, oh, okay. He's actually injured himself he's somehow trying to catch to a regulation bit. pass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of funny, but in a quite cruel way. But yeah, yeah. Sashe comes on and you go like, bloody hell, that's a good replacement to have, isn't it? to be able to bring him on. like Again, he's quite early in his career at this stage, but hell of a player to bring on. And the fact that Romania still have these players and there is this... Like we mentioned it earlier, Florian Vlaikou's left off the pitch for 80 minutes. Yes. And I know he was young, but... But you do question a player of his quality as a goal kicker. Mm, Would that yeah. make a difference? Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so that was a kind of funny point, but that scrum that comes off the Tonita dropped ball in his own half, which mm. was a huge momentum swing from the ball being on Portugal's try line. Yeah. That is suddenly they're 60 meters downfield and they can launch an attack off this. And Romania slightly implode. Yeah. The pressure gets to them very suddenly. Yeah. And I think what had been a game that they were taking control of, suddenly they made one mistake and they start to compound it and they yeah. give away a penalty. They give away a penalty. And Maliero and steps up and has who she, no yeah. hesitation. So he has the body language of a footballer. There's something about him, right? He steps up, he kick, takes a penalty, and the way he jogs back into his own half, like facing side on at the crowd and like jeering his team and like bringing them in with him. It's, as I said, it's footballer or wedding magician. Yes. Do you <laughs> see his kicking stance as well, by the way? Yeah. Where he does the little funny like downward X thing with his hands, puts him in like kind of a downward facing X shape and wiggles his fingers very slowly. It's again, chaotic magician. Yeah, he's just got this energy about him of like we have fallen into the never realm and I shall be the only person who can guide us out with my cape of wonders. Yes, yes. But his strike on that penalty kick so is clean, fantastic. And, and it puts Portugal 10-7 up. He looks so confident like the whole time he was taking yeah. that penalty. Yeah, 10-7 to Portugal with 11 minutes left. And I'm just thinking, come on, Portugal. Again, this is year nine of his international career. He retires after he plays in that game against Portugal, against Romania, sorry, in December, and then retires. That's his last game. So clearly he was made for this. Yeah. Like he'd been dreaming of this day in front of 35,000 people in bloody Toulouse. Portugal have two really good sets of halfbacks. They bring on Luis Pissarra with not long left in the game, who has 70 plus caps himself. Yeah. Like, that's a really experienced group of halfbacks to bring off your bench in this game. Like, they're inspired subs. Yeah. A really strong bench Romania have to lean on. And I know both, that was teams, the point. both teams, yeah. 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 I know it was the point for Romania, and it doesn't perhaps please Tinku and Sokol, and probably Ion as well, and Asashe, yeah. and Serebu. But hey, and Vleku. And Gabriel, Gabriel Buzanu, yeah, who doesn't come on. He's probably fine and fit. But yeah. It all starts to build. It all starts to get better and better and better. Uh, there's a beautiful kick, like bit of game management by my hero as well. As he starts to slowly take control of things. And you are wondering, you are wondering, like, could it be? Could it be? But alas, right, right off the restart, the referee quite harshly penalises 
Portugal for being in front of the kicker. Yes. Romania smashed the scrum, get right back into the Portuguese half. And from there, things start to look a little bit more inevitable. They yeah. regain the momentum immediately thanks to one refereeing decision. They have an absolutely huge maul and it's so it ominous. It's up to about two metres out from the line. Yeah. They have quite a long sequence of drives and, and Portugal are so fired up once again for this. Yeah. Like, Again, we've mentioned him already. Rui Cordero constantly putting his body on the line for this and doing absolutely anything to just stop them dead. It's just incredible the way Portugal keep holding this out. Rui Cordero plays 80 minutes. Is The shift he puts in is insane. Yeah. He's running the entire time until he absolutely drops. And you, it takes one look at him to realise, and I'm sure, Rui, if you're listening, you won't mind me saying this, he's not the fittest bloke when you compare <laughs> him to the other props that are playing in this tournament. Is, there, is right? their fourth game? Is their fourth yeah, game? Yeah, and he's an amateur. But he is constantly on the sprint here. He is absolutely dying for his country here. Yeah. And Uva goes off after this passage of play. And he He's can barely that. walk off. Yeah. Like he has spent everything he has. Every last drop of energy has been expended here. Yeah. And this is clearly he empties the tank on this. He's pack. amazing. This, this particular defensive set as well. He is huge. He makes one enormous, enormous hit on one of the Portuguese forwards. They're like meets them behind the game line, drives them back an inch or two when they're looking like like it's an inch or so to go to the line and he yeah. catches them back another metre. He's just enormous and physical and all over and causes a nightmare at the breakdown. And yet, Romania just keep coming. And you do get the sense Portugal are going to break. Yeah. No matter how well they're defending this, they've been doing that now for a whole half. Yeah. Like, ever since Romania made those changes, tactically as well as in personnel, they've been hanging on. And you sense they're about to give in and eventually they do yeah they eventually change which side they're picking and going to and portugal are maybe half a second late to realize that they're about to do that and it's one of those things where you just get caught out in a very very small margin and it's florin cordonu who play is playing seven who i didn't notice all game for romania <laughs> drives over for a very well constructed try we have to give him that credit and yeah I, I, I really like that you... Corden is very good. Do you? Okay, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Maybe I've just not been paying as much attention as maybe I should, <laughs> but that's fine. But I think it's great that you've d- addressed that as a really good Portuguese defensive set, which it is. And but eventually... Also like amazing patience and finishing and yes. work to get there. Absolutely. And again, it's by a fantastic Romania. latch. I don't know who it's from by Romania that gets Cordno over the try line. Yeah, and he scores out wide. And... Dumbrava steps up this time and drills the conversion. Yeah, it's a brilliant kick that he hits on that. And an important one as well, because it puts Portugal outside of three points. So the score is now 14-10 to Romania. They're leading for the first time. And Portugal, knowing they need a try, start to roll the dice a bit. Yes. So we see them suddenly making a, they suddenly make a lot of changes in those last three minutes. Some of them because, you know, like... Uva clearly can't walk anymore. Like, yeah. you don't need a GPS to tell you that he's spent. Yeah, Penalva like, likewise. Yeah, Penalva's gone. But also, like, so they bring on Pissara as, like, a quicker scrum off to come on. Yeah. But again, um, super experienced. Super experienced. Yeah. 70 plus caps, like, really good game manager. And they go, this is it. This is our kind of, this is our chance. This is our, we've got a score. And Romania go, well, hold on. All we've got to do is stop them getting Fernando in 22 because their attack is a pick and go. 
<laughs> so just as well, we've got the lad with the 90 meter boot, isn't it? Yeah. And suddenly Romania do nothing but kick for these last eight minutes. Yeah. They are just incredibly sensible and incredibly aerial. You see that weird moment where Pedro Leal drops the ball backwards. Mm. Malhero picks it up and then realising he's got someone marking him, just randomly does the most needlessly risky backdoor flick when there's only yes. one man in the Romanian defensive line, which luckily Leal is alive to because he's played with the fucker for years. And... He was just hoping it would go for like, he'd land in his cape and he could like circle it round <laughs> yes. and come out in his other hand. Now like, I'll make this to... ball disappear! <laughs> he was trying to do a sleight of hand trick where he goes up his sleeve, but his sleeves are too short <laughs> and it comes out the other side. Well, like he was trying to like make the ball disappear into his hand and then it like appear in bloody Tonita's hands on the sideline. Sure, sure. <laughs> Except he's like, oh no, no, now is not the time. But the mad thing is, Pedro Leo makes a break off this. So... Yeah, so like Portugal don't look like scoring a try in those last 10 minutes, except no. for one moment where Romania kick quite loosely and Pedro Leal does this step. And the moment he beats the first man, you think he's in. Yeah. And he gets scragged by like the third guy. But like him getting past the first it's one. Sokol. And Sokol then, makes a tackle on him. Right. Oh, man. And like what an important tackle that is. Because if he gets through and gets ahead of speed up, you've got a knackered Romanian team trying to hunt down Portugal's greatest ever sevens player. Yeah. yeah coming great with pace, having scenarios. not had an inch of space, having not had a chance up until now. Yeah. He has two moments in this game, Lial, where you see the quality of player he is, yeah. which he hadn't really had in this World Cup. Like, so glad he got to play in one, but he doesn't mm. really get the chances you perhaps want him to see. Yeah, he's a class him. player. Class yeah. player. And but like, he almost I'm, gets one at the end here. I'm not he sure he had a great like a deal of support when glory. he makes that break. Like, no. if he did make a, a clean, clean break. But as you say, like, there is nobody who will thrive of his one on one situation in space more than him. You know, he yeah. doesn't necessarily need the support to finish a trial like that. Yeah. Because Dumitrash at the back isn't known for his gas, is he? He's not <laughs> going to hunt him down and do a try saver on him. However, Soren Sokal, as you say, gets to him. Manages to make that tackle. Massive moment. Leaves Portugal just stranded their own 22. Yeah. And Romania continue to apply the squeeze to get a penalty. They keep pressing into the 22. With just seconds left to go, Portugal wants to force a knock-on. And uh, I believe it's Cortino, the flanker, forces a knock-on. And they call everyone in with like seconds to go of like, we have no attack. What do we do now? <laughs> we have to run this. There are five seconds left in the game. We have to... Firstly, win a scrum. Mm. Secondly, try and attack. And thirdly, put the ball down. On that th- you see that thing that's 100 metres in that direction? <laughs> we have to put the ball down over there. It's crazy scenes. And you have like, so they call everyone in. Like All the pack are having this conference about what they do. And they call the two halfbacks in. And you see when Malhino comes in. He just nods once. Of like, yes, I understand the instructions. Score. Cool. We'll do that. <laughs> brilliant it's like no you can't magic the ball over there you can't slight a hand the ball over there that's not going to work this time pedro you can't put it under a tablecloth and make it appear there no we need to run this distance ourselves and put it down preferably from an onside position yeah they put the ball into the scrum yes romania absolutely bully them it's such a good scrum for romania it's a miracle it's a miracle the Galal, the Romanian number eight, is able to recover this. Portuguese number eight, rather. 
pulls it out somehow. Him and Pinto, like, or not Pinto, Pinto's gone off on this, Pissiera, are able to recover the ball, clear it out, and Portugal are left with the ball three or four meters out from their own trial line. Yeah. And so they go, okay, we've got to go the distance. We need our best attacking strategy. Let's flick through our playbook very quickly and check what we've got. They open their playbook. They see there's two options, which are cross kick and pick and go. And they go, (laughs) right, let's stick with the first one here. Well, at this point as well, John Taylor on the comms is going, oh, surely they can't be this brave to actually go for this and try and score. Like, they've got the losing bonus point. They've done themselves so proud. They surely can't go the distance. And there's a part of me that was thinking, what if they did try, like, a chip kick or something just to to chance it? And so, (laughs) Portugal, from their own try line, do five picking goers to try and make yardage. Like, oh, best of luck to this you. This is our best chance. And the thing is, right, rugby matches can theoretically go on forever. That's like bloody Quidditch, but not made up by a bigoted person. Actually, it was, probably. <laughs> um, so the thing is, right, why didn't they just try and do 100 pick and goes? Yeah. The first couple were effective, but then Romania realised, like, oh, wait, this is what we do every week. What does yeah, everyone is- do to combat us? Because we're quite shit. Um, oh, that's right. They just crowd everyone around the breakdown and just tackle them. I wonder why more teams don't try 100 consecutive pick and goes. Yeah. If you're not playing against like bloody McCaw or Pocock or Warburton or whatever, you'll be fine. Yeah. You'll be fine. Give it a go. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Give it a go. More teams doing that. It will kill rugby forever as a sport. And we all want that. <laughs> yeah. But then we reach probably the slowest five seconds of my life watching this. <laughs> as... Luis Pizarro digs in and goes, right, okay, we're going to go to this the is pocket. It. One last big roll of the dice. And the ball very slowly travels back into Malheiro's hands. And I go, okay, they're going to kick it out. Fair enough. They're going to take full time, right? And then he catches it. And then he has a moment of stuttering. I go, oh, he's going to kick it long and hope Romania don't know it's full time. You know what? I've seen that happen before. That has happened before. Mm. And then maybe just kick kick it back or something, you know. And then he shapes for a little bit longer and drops the point of the ball a little bit. And you go, let's go for a chip kick. This yeah. is what we're saying. This could work. He could go for the chip kick or the cross kick. And it's a roll of the dice, as you say. And then he lifts his elbow a little bit and you go, hang on a minute. <laughs> You're going to pass the ball. You're, be- you're five metres behind your own try line. You've basically not got... You Basically, all that's behind you is dead ball area. You haven't passed the ball since 1998. <laughs> <laughs> As a team, never mind you individually, yeah. Gonzalo. And do you want to describe this or shall I? Because... So, his pass is okay. It's in the yeah, air quite it's... a long time. Not wrong but, with it. Yeah, and Nikolai, the Romanian winger managed to fly up to try and cut off Leal with the ball. And he goes, I'm going to fix my man. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to free Carvelo because he is in the space. Because to be fair, there's only one Romanian left marking because you have to cover the backfield because they're like, they're probably going to kick this off. Yeah, and everyone else is bothered with the pick and go area that they've tried a hundred times. Yeah. So he goes to try and do these like beautiful quick hands and try and free his winger. And I suppose he does do quick hands. He <laughs> throws quick. it two. Yeah, he very quickly throws it two meters in front of him. 
Two is generous, mate. I think it oh, no, much... it lands initially two meters in front of him. It then bounces another seven. Yeah, I was going to say it probably bounces out on the five meter line when he catches it behind his his own try line. Yeah, and then the referee just looks at that and just goes, "Right, I've had enough." And it's the yeah. most anticlimactic end to a really good game ever. Yeah, and a really tense finale where like yeah. a team could go the distance and cause one of the great rugby world cup upsets. Yeah. And Pedro Leal, who's been brilliant, just th- lobs the ball about five meters forward. But you know what? Yeah. If the ref didn't notice that, if the ref didn't know that forward pass was a rule and that yeah. went to hand, then that's probably quite a good way of doing that because it means you gain yeah. yardage by yeah. throwing that pass because you can go forward like closer to the try line. So I think it was it's worth a going. Point. It's a very good point. It's the ref might point. not have known that forward pass was a rule, but alas, it brings down the curtain. On the Iron Curtain, you could say, on Romania's last, well, no, Romania's penultimate game in this World Cup, as bloody Rui was very keen to tell us, but Portugal's yes. World Cup. It's time for the Portuguese Leavers Party. It is, it is, and we'll rattle through this, but Portugal have been such great value. Portugal have been fantastic. They've just been one of the most joyous teams to watch in this tournament. Yeah. And they haven't necessarily played joyous, like free-flowing rugby that you think of as fun, but they've been so much fun to watch. Yeah, you can spout so many great cliches about Portugal. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Like they've genuinely improved it's... with every single game and seem like they've learned yeah. from playing against the All Blacks and stuff and so really many values. Those occasions. Yeah. So many but, values. So many values. But it genuinely feels like they're so much better off as players and as people from coming to this World Cup and getting to experience this as the first ever group of Portuguese players who can do this. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And we talked about this at the start of the podcast and we talk about it more in the video and whatever else. But this team genuinely inspired the Portugal team we have now. Like, yeah. that is their legacy. That is the Who true sign of what they achieved is here. Yeah. Yeah. And Those hopefully guys that are incredible, team takes it? Portugal further, right? Yeah. And it's one of these things I've always said, like, if Spain were of George's current quality, right, Spain would be in the Six Nations by now. They'd be mm. having that conversation. Yeah. Portugal are probably in that conversation. If they keep improving, they keep growing, they may be at them. If that happens, it's because of this lot. It's because this lot broke the ceiling and broke the ground. Mm, and was so sure. exciting for both you know rugby fans in general to watch and really fall in love with as like this proud amateur team but also particularly people in portugal who hadn't seen this sport before because yeah. suddenly all the games were on tv people could watch all of the games but they had their own team that they could cheer for and celebrate and watching games like this that became tight and exciting you know and the new zealand game was a blowout but like that was hugely significant yeah yeah in italy they really pushed and then Romania, they get a point on the table. They get this losing bonus point. It's so hard fought. And look, like so at the end of the tournament, at the end of this game, Thomas Moraes comes out and he says, afterwards, after all of this, it couldn't have been better. The players oh. dignified our country with his attitude to play rugby. We played of our hearts. We showed all the people around the world how Portugal plays rugby. And I don't think stay. anyone could have put it better than him. That's amazing. Yeah. If any Portuguese rugby fans are listening to this, we love you and we love your team. I cannot wait to see more of them at the 2023 Rugby World Cup. In terms of the players who have inspired, I think we have to touch on a few of them. Pedro Leal is box office and he was... When I first saw one of the team sheets, I was like, yes, I can't wait to see him playing 15s. The three Uvers are all incredible. I think, let's face it, Vasco Uva is by a long way their best player, right? If we're picking their best yeah. player, yeah. Uh, yeah. it is by such a stretch, Vasco Uva. I think the Pintos are both incredible. 
But the guy who has made me feel the most in yes. this tournament is Rui Cordero. He yeah. has just been amazing. He's been such a leader. It's clear that he's so loved in this camp because of what he brings to this team. Mm. And he clearly loves being Portuguese and being a Portuguese rugby player. And that for me is, again, it's cliched and it's cringy, but that's what being a first-time World Cup nation who has no expectations on them is all about, is players like him. And the amount he has yeah. given in this game and all the other games and his five-pointer against the All Blacks, that for me is what has, as you say, started a snowball of Portuguese rugby success. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I absolutely could not put any of it better myself. Cordero is the kind of real standout that you become like a huge... Oh, I'm in love with it. off automatically, instantly. Ferreira as well, like very similar. Like yeah. I love their kind of elderly front row that are like, even some of them aren't that old. But, you know, hugely significant. The Uva family, as you mentioned. A word as well for David Penavala. Yes. Second row, who I thought was great. Yes. Typical, like, as no involved, discipline. Work hard. But... No. Hugely great to watch. And then the Pintos, you know, Jose Pinto at nine, yeah. Duarte Pinto at 10. Both fantastic. Both great, great value. Miguel Porte as well, bloody hardworking 13. Yeah, Huge, like huge him. fan of him. I also want to mention one thing as well, like tied in here, about a man who we plenty could mention in Antonio Aguera, the winger, mm-hmm. who plays in this game. So during this game, a very lovely thing happened. Obviously, Portugal didn't get the result in the end. But there was what the Rugby World Cup website at the time declared a Cinderella moment as after the match, when they came around to do all of the kind of team applause and whatever, all of the team, apart from Aguala, came back out in T-shirts that said in Portuguese, Antonio, will you marry me? At which point his wife, or no, his girlfriend flashed up on the big screen and got down on one knee. No! And his girlfriend, at full time in this game, proposed to him. That's amazing! As the words, Antonio, will you marry me, came up on the scoreboard after the end of the game. Oh my God. That's so cool. That is one of the best things that's ever happened at the Rugby World Cup. That's so wholesome. What the the fuck? All of his teammates were in on it. Or suddenly a large number of them were in on it. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm quite a wide range of t shirts because they're not Codera is not fit the same size as the (laughs) owl. Yeah, yeah, that's so so good. And I take it they've been married ever since. Yep, yep, that's so cute. They got married and remain married to this day. That's incredible. Well, I wish them all happiness in the world, especially the coolest fuck girlfriend who has organized that. Yep. And also, like, her proposing is cool. Isn't it? Sorry. That's so cool. I'm that's, hugely into that. That's a big dick move. I love it. Yep. Not even on the leap yet. Good. <laughs> Good on you. Good on you. Oh, man. Feminist icon, Antonio Agrula. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Of course, shares his name with a Mexican singer. Oh, wow. That's not the that. first one. No, we did. We talked about it. Oh, did we? Did we? Right. Yeah, This is all. these all blur into one. He's now, actually, head coach of Germany Sevens. Oh, is he? Yeah, so he's gone on to build a career for himself and his wife. Yes, big up, big up. That's very cool. Let's do uh, Man of the Match and Dick of the Day quickly, shall we? Let's, 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 let's. Oh, so, should we start with Dick of the Day? 
Yeah, there's there's a couple, right? One of them is Christian Petra for suddenly turning into Stefan Constantine. One of them is yeah, there's a enough. point where Dumbrava unleashes his inner Dan Parks and just randomly punts the ball to the in the direction of the Mate, sticks and it goes so, dead. So yeah, this is this is my dick of the day moment. Okay, as far go as on, concerned. you tell. Look, the Romania start of the second half, right? This is as we said, like they come in the second half, they're far more direct, they're far more focused, they're far more kind of like fired up and into it and you know kind of very much like oh this is our moment we're going to take this we're going to play to our strengths we're going to be far more direct and bloody 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 blah and then their first attack of the game just inside their own half they have the chance to set up and off really clean line out ball they go back to Dumbrava who just kicks the ball dead straight down the middle like when you accidentally press the wrong button in a video yeah. game For like you just boot it randomly in the middle and he just like hangs it in the air, but also like long, so it ba- it's honestly one of the worst kicks I've ever seen. One of the worst. It's so impressively ever, ever shit. Seen. Yeah, yeah. It's fair enough. Atrocious. It's genuinely Good that atrocious. That's your dick of the day. And that is my dick of the day. Like honestly, Dumitrescu could kick all the balls out in the full. Duarte could cost his team the game, and the, whatever. I don't care what else happens. That is a dick of the day moment for me. The yeah. Worst tactical decision I've ever seen. I was in total agreement with you until that Pedro Leal thing happened in the last play, where he threw that so horrifically forward that it was just That's like, fair. oh, well, if you do that, you kind of have to be dick of the day. I love you, Pedro Leal, but... Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you there. That's yeah. a, actually a very compelling point. Yes. Man of the match, difficult to pick, I think. Difficult to pick. I think you've got to give a lot of credit to both Marius Tinko and Soren Sokol because they turn the yeah. game in a half. And I think that they do pack a genuine like 80 minute worth man of the match level performance into 40 minutes. I think they do think need fair. to be brought up. I think that Rui Cordero is excellent. I think he just puts his whole heart and soul into this game, as we've said a million times. I think Adivadus Tanita is brilliant until he does his calf, you know, with like 10, 20 minutes to go. But the two standouts yeah. to me are Duarte Pinto and Yao Uva. I think those two, one of them works his socks off and gets loads of turnovers, and the other one does something with it and puts them in the right areas yeah. of the park. And I think that's a perfect combination. I feel like I'm going to have to, because he's the guy who's come up most, give it to Duarte Pinto for okay. organising this game so brilliantly. Yeah. It's funny, because I'm sort of going the other way around. Okay. So, look, my man of the match is quite easily, I think, Hoi over who I think seven Romania for Portugal for bloody one of them, who I think is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. For a while I was considering, I thought Cordino seven for Romania Antonita at eight are both absolutely excellent. The mm-hmm. commentator refers to first time Corradino gets the ball. He refers to him as Tonita. So I thought it was Tonita was at seven, which was obviously a position he could play very comfortably and played a lot for Romania. And so I had a moment of thinking that everything both of those players were doing was Tonita. So I think <laughs> I kind of rolled them into two a bit, but sure. they were excellent. You've got to put a word in for the main front row. Bogdan Balan. Of course. Yeah. Fantastic. Then Paul Likarion comes on as well. We haven't really mentioned him, but he comes on shortly after Tinku and Solkol. And he also has a huge impact because the scrum goes he also up notches once he ends comes up on. playing 15 minutes at loose head, which is yes. his position and does very well there. Yeah. He plays both sides of the scrum because... Balan has to go off and then come back on. Yeah. So yeah, I think he has a huge impact. I think both Romanian props, as well as Tinku, deserve a mention. And look, like much as we can com- talk about how good he was, Mavoldin, who was very much a veteran, an old school hooker, like he was a hooker before Tinku came along, mm-hmm. was very solid for Romania. Yeah, like, he was. He I'm was. not saying he's a man of the match contention, but like, you know, we kind of talked about his replacement. Is he, yeah. yeah. 
also like first half I thought Roman, you know Gunteniak was like one of Romania's better players and like yeah, quite quite very guy. good whenever he's they were just resembling the attack half, yeah but Aduba Trash obviously does the most rugby but yeah Uva for me is yeah. kind of nailed on his man of the match Portino was given the official man of the match six oh, for I like Portugal that. I like that who he did give away a lot of very well though. Yeah. But yeah, it's a upper penalty. He was excellent. And Uber's like sheer physicality, I think, adds something yeah. as well as his work rate. Definitely. Yeah, I'm Uber. I have no doubts over that at all. Strong agree. Oh, and that brings us through to the end of another bloody rugby. Do you remember we talked about Mission Impossible at the start of this podcast? Yeah, it was a while ago. A while Feels ago. like a long that time was a ago. Big How rugby. do we always do this? Yeah. How do we talk for like six hours on bloody. 14-10 game between... Because it was a class game and we love these true. teams. That's why. I did message you during it saying this is like low-key, a bit of a banger. Yeah, exactly. And, and you I know what? I stand agreed. by that. I do not think I was wrong at all. Yeah, agree. However, the question is, will next week's be a banger? Depends. What's the game? Please tune in for another case of two teams potentially playing the World Cup final knowing it's the one game that like realistically they can win. Okay. It's Georgia take on Namibia. Oh, that would be interesting. Maybe. It might not be interesting. Let's find out. We'll find out. We'll have a bunch of time as the rugby championship kicks off to instead start talking about we'll probably like talk about like oh this is this has inspired Georgia to be good now and Namibia or oh, would they get good whatever Vip Boy Oh my God Vip Boy's back Vip Boy yes! plays Let's do Vip, Vip Boy, Boy bloody plays Oh my God you know no no because no, 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 you know what you know what happens in this game No I don't I don't want to know until I watch it. Okay. 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 I don't <laughs> want to spoil the much. podcast, mate. But there's some rugby coming up. Oh, mate! If Fitboy scores, I'm going to lose my shit. All right, let's go. So, thank you very much for the rugby. Yeah. I hope you enjoy a lot of it. And when it all continues to happen, uh, may the rugby be kind to you. Thanks for Goodbye. that. Bye. And good night. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.